Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Moreno, New Zealand, good morning to you all. Tuesday morning here on SCNZ and uh, quite a busy and uh, mixed morning for you in terms of uh, what we've got in uh, sport. Of course, rugby's still high on the agenda. Uh, it's been 48 hours since that second all-black loss, but uh, we've still got to talk about it, don't we? We're going to talk about this review process and just where we think the all-blacks and uh, the black ferns are at and the rugby season pretty much wrapped up at home as well. Uh, so uh, we shall talk to uh, Ken Laban about that very shortly. Full Tautarangi in his normal slot just after 9.30 uh, with uh, the golfing uh, update. And uh, I, I don't apologise, I'm going to talk about Lydia Ko. Uh, and why wouldn't we? Because um, she's just won another trophy. She's won a hell of a lot of money this year. She's improved her rankings. Um, you know, where does she sit in terms of New Zealand sports women? Is she the greatest? I read an article during the week that says she's the greatest sports woman we've ever had. Uh, George Berry. Uh, former Kiwi journalist on the NBA, plenty happening there. LeBron James uh, in a big, big tussle yesterday. Uh, Jeff McTainch and uh, Lavina Good will be the panel just after 20 past 10 this morning and ample subjects for them to digest. Louis Herman Watt, a visit to the TAB. Uh, CC Craig Cummings, Sid, he'll be with us just after 11 o'clock on uh, cricket. Of course, the test match just not too far away against India, that first test. Uh, and then we'll have uh, Mount Rushmore as well. And you can think about it now, Double eight, double three. Uh, is our text number, the top four losses, the top four losses that have hurt you the most in sport, in your memory, the top four losses that have hurt you the most, Uh, just on the back of that one at the weekend, did it hurt that much? Not sure, Um, because it's so fresh it probably hurt, but however, uh, we shall get your your feelings on those, I've had my four, Uh, some are personal, some aren't. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, the smartphone is aptly named. Its capabilities seem endless with every new model. As we speak, they'll be tinkering away in some factory in Asia, adding a new feature to a new model just in time for Christmas. Shortly, it will be our passport to a life approaching normality. One tiny little app inside with literally the capability to open every door with a welcome greeting. Just 20 minutes out of your day, twice, and a couple of little pricks in the arm. Whammo, you're in. Enjoy. The system seems sound, although far from universally accepted. There's still a sizable bunch prepared to wait at the traffic lights regardless of the pending colour. That, of course, is personal choice. Yes, this wonderful little appliance with a multitude of apps and features is gold in our hands. That is until it turns to the other end of the scale, the crappy one. This is when the smartphone changes its name to the risk phone. 
Still smart, but relying on some clever fingers operated by a clever brain. Alcohol-driven, anger-driven, jealousy-driven, or strange humour-driven, have you ever sent a photo or a message to anyone you have immediately regretted? Even through the wireless, I can see the hands slowly raising. Mine is too. There is certainly glass in my house. Ever done anything you hope later someone didn't film on their phone? Whoops, there's the other hand. Point is, it doesn't take much for the smartphone smartphone to become the idiot phone or the regret phone. And the higher up the food chain you are, the more the collateral damage. The recipient feels the pain. Most times, the sender will cop the wrath. Don't have to mention names in this sermon. You've all seen the fallout from the latest disaster of a high-profile sportsman. Guilty as sin, now counting the cost. Now, if the boffins can come up with a phone that after five minutes comes back to you and says, do you really want to send this? I reckon that might sell. Call it a smart choice phone. Well, a review of the All Black season is underway, we're told, with New Zealand Rugby already voicing their support for Ian Foster, who this year has won 12 of his 15 Test matches. To take a closer look at the All Blacks and uh, the Super Rugby squads, and even the NPC is Faunal uh, Ken Laban, rugby player, rugby league player, policeman, community worker, local body politician, most researched rugby uh, commentator through all the levels of the game that I know, captain of the Big Eight and lifetime president of the Republic of Wine, Nui Omata. Now that's a hell of an introduction for you, Ken Laban. Good morning to you. It is, it is, it is indeed, mate. Good morning. Nice to be on your show, Smith. Yep. Yeah, Ken, uh, and every one of them's true, by the way. Uh, no, no all-black coach has, um, has ever been sacked mid-contract. We're not even suggesting that, really, to be fair, but it's been a tough finish to the year for Ian Foster. There's no doubt about that. Yes, yeah, and I think that um, you know neither of us are saying anything new um, with regard to that. And as you point out, um, from a KPI perspective, I don't know how he's being measured, but I assume um, twelve and three. What's that, mate? Eighty percent um, retaining the Bledisloe Cup, um, success with um, with the rugby nation. Uh, with the rugby championship, um, so I suppose um, wins over loss at eighty percent is not too bad. Um, two of the three majors um, tours uh, are not so bad, but if we extrapolate out um, what many of us are doing, um, take the two South African tests out, uh, take the French and the Irish test out, and measure that uh, independent of the. Um, um, of the other tests that they played in 2021, then uh, the numbers pretty much set sort of one and one and three, don't they? 25% uh, with a close loss to um, South Africa, um, a loss to Ireland, and seemingly no improvement with their loss to France um, on the weekend. It was a very interesting, uh, I have to say, starting lineup chosen um, for that game indeed. Okay, so Ken, where for you um, are we going wrong? Is there a common theme across those three vital test matches that we lost? Is it is it a physicality thing? Uh, is it a game plan thing? Uh, uh, I mean, you know, is it is it simple to pinpoint? Yeah, 
Um, it is a physicality, uh, absolutely. Smithy, you've hit it, you've hit it right on the head. Um, and rugby union, being obviously being the contact sport that it is, um, if you don't win the contact or if you don't win the physical uh, exchanges, then ultimately you won't win the game. And uh, out muscled um, against South Africa, but we were still able to offer one and nearly able to pull off two wins. Um, and that was, you know, that second test against South Africa, that was out. That was without some key players um, as well. Uh, they did, um, so the All Blacks were very, were very competitive. But physically, just got out. They just got out gunned at um, Ruck and Mall time. Uh, they got our gun with the carries from uh, Ireland. Um, and they, and as you know, as we all know, they came straight down the middle as well. Um, and against France, exactly the same. Um, I think I was a little bit surprised with the result against uh, Ireland. Um, but I wasn't surprised at all with the result um, against France. Everybody's been talking about France the last couple of years. Um, Smithy, they won the world under 20s in 2018 and 2019. And um, people that I know, or you and I both know, that were involved with um, covering uh, <clears throat> covering those tournaments all came back and said that they're going to be the big force um, coming through. Terrific young side, and they had, um, they had, I think, four players from the 2018 team were in the, in the team on the weekend, and I didn't get a chance to look over their 2019 squad. But Intermac, uh, who was the star... Uh, on the weekend, he, <clears throat> the boy's been a star since he was 16, 17 uh, years old, and he's been coming through the age grade uh, thing. So not surprised um, to see to see the kid play going so well. And um, as far as their presence uh, at the breakdown, we, you know, it's not often you see um, Nepal Lala and, um, uh, and Joe Moody and um, Ritalik and Whitelock altered around uh, at Rucker more time the way that they were. Um, on the weekend, so yeah, physicality absolutely. I didn't, um, I didn't think it was a smart move at all to go into the game without Blackadder at six, and without Dalton Papali'i. I thought that Blackadder Papali'i and Adi Savia had been our best back three in uh, 2021. Um, all aggressive, all physical, all up for all up for a big contest, and all in terrific form um, as well. I was, I was staggered that um, Hardy was the only one out of that outstanding back three um, that started. I also thought it was a mistake to let Paddy Tupolotu um, leave early, given he's got that presence with the ball <clears throat> that can really trouble some of those Northern Hemisphere teams because he's a very strong, aggressive runner um, as well. So, you know, I do think that the issues that they've got are, um, are fixable. I don't think Foster's going to be sacked, given they reappointed him only, um, only in August. Um, but we need to see some positive signs in 2022 ahead of the World Cup in 23, don't we, mate? We sure do, Ken. Uh, I, was, I was just about to ask you if it was if physicality, physicality is fixable in the brain or in the body. In other words, do we have uh, do we have aging bodies and we need younger bodies hitting those rucks, etc., um, or do we change the attitude and the mental side of things for those incumbents? Uh, I guess that's a, a big decision for them right now. Yes, it is. Um, and I think obviously the players all... We're talking about boys too. They've, you know, they've had a lot of success in the sport uh, as well. So, um, so so they'll be very dark. And I thought Colsey um, pretty much 
pretty much reflected that. Um, you know, I thought it was candidness and his honesty. Um, at the end, we weren't there. We got pushed around. Um, we needed to have done better. Um, so they, you know, so obviously they know and understand themselves why we what happened, you know, what what was going on. You know yourself when you're battling backwards in the middle of the ruck and um, things aren't going well and you're used to going forward. Um, and as you say, well, you know, mentally, well, I think I, I think they can get back there. They're not going to they're not going to be terrific players one year and crack the next. So um, I do think that the issues that they have amongst the players that they've got in the group are, um, are fixable. Right. Okay. Um, one of the things that uh, I know Grant Fox uh, earlier in the year was uh, quite vocal about was trying to find mobile props. In other words, props that are good ball carriers who can contribute across the park. I mean, when you only have five or six scrums in the first hour uh, and then you change your props, how effective have they been if they're not involved in the other areas of the game? Uh, I'm not sure we answered that question. No, do we need to give one or two of the younger guys in the squad a decent run at it? Yeah, I thought that Tyro Lomax had a pretty good tour um, as well, considering he was a young guy with a question mark, in my view, at the beginning of the international um, season. He scrummaged well. He hit well at uh, Rucker more time, and uh, he started to carry the ball um, a little bit more as well, and it's for 130 uh, kilograms. And he still worked, I think, 12 or 13, 12 or 13 tests. So um, I think he could be a major threat for um, for 2023 um, as well. George Bauer and uh, and Ethan De Groot um, as well look um, very very good uh, as well. So yeah, it's an interesting debate that you raise. The front row of Smithy um, that they need to uh, they need to contribute um, more to the game. But you know, conversations I've had with Foxy as well. He said, you know, any one of those six scrums can turn the game for us as well. So they've still got to be good at their core um, as well. But if they can add, if they can obviously become a threat with the ball, as a number of those French and Irish forwards uh, were right across uh, the park. Gee, their ball, their ball carrying and their physicality was very, very impressive um, on the weekend. And that's basically where the game is now. If you don't match that physicality, you're not going to be successful. So... Um, you know, the All Blacks need to find a way to get players in tune, um, aggressive and competing hard. Ken, it used to be when uh, we were little guys with short pants on going to uh, respectively Scots College or Rongatai College, uh, to be away on an All Black team for the thick end of 15 weeks would have been a dream come true. Now uh, it seems it's uh, a, a bridge too far in the modern way of thinking. So is that a valid excuse, do you think? No, it's not. Not an excuse, you know. If, if you're not if you're not up to it, you know, hand your contract to somebody else. Um, that is that is what it is. Uh, those international games, they bring the big crowds, they bring the uh, the big venue, um, the, the big revenue in uh, to grow the game right across the um, right across the sport. The COVID thing has impacted everybody, um, everybody around the world. So, you know, I just see that as a pathetic excuse to keep raising it. Um, all the time it's a professional game, you pay to play, play. Mm. Okay. Uh, the other thing, of course, uh, we need, uh, it appears to me we need leadership. Uh, we need a captain. Uh, okay, we've tinkered around this year, we've had five. Um, who's your captain? Who, who, I mean, he, he's got to make a decision two years out and say, this is the 
This is it. Uh, he's on the field. I'm off the field. This is the way we're going. Who's your man? Who, who is your man? Has he got a man? Jeez. A, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know that I'm smart enough to answer that. Um, Smithy, I didn't realise it. I didn't realise it. We've had five captains. Um, five captains this year. Um, well, I suppose if you had to pick one on success and one on seniority, um, Sam Whitelock makes um, Sam Whitelock makes a lot of sense. He's going to play 150 tests. Um, his position in the team is never going to be in any doubt. Um, and I think Sam Kane, wonderful player uh, that he is, but the noise is getting louder and louder for Dalton Papali to start every test match. Adi Savier himself is a quality number seven. Um, as well, so I suppose if I had to choose out of those five, my vote would go to Sam Whitelock. Okay, uh, Ken, and other news away from the All Blacks, uh, of course the, uh, the Super Squads were uh, finalised yesterday or announced to us, um, Moana Pacifica uh, has got an interesting squad, uh, what have you made of the makeup of, of what uh, Aaron Major's been able to put together? Yeah, well he's got the leftovers really, hasn't he? Um, so the pick of the um, of the New Zealand-based players and the contracted players and the elite players um, have all been taken by the other five um, franchises. And um, Aaron Major was a very solid-looking Hawks Bay Magpie um, look about his team and some other high-profile players um, as well. So they're the inexperienced uh, group. But I was just trying to think before... Um, Smithy. So there's 12 teams in the comp and they've got a, a final series of eight. So you're but on that basis, mate, you're a 66% chance to make the playoffs. So you can make the playoffs mm. with, you know, we laughed at Mox Southland, didn't we, who made the playoffs having won one game. I reckon you could win three games in Super Rugby and make the playoffs. And you could argue you've had a successful, um, you could have a successful season um, on that. So you know, Moana Pacifica, I don't know. It's going to be very tough for them to win against any of the New Zealand franchises. I don't know how many times they're playing them, um, but I'll give them a chance against a couple of the Australian ones. Ken, as always, uh, thanks very much for your honesty. Um, you're up front. Uh, and this is always appreciated and your research as well. So uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, and uh, you've given us a bit to think about there. Cheers, man. Cheers, bud. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Ken Laban there, and uh, very frank there on a couple of issues, and uh, I totally agree. Uh, and I just got a text in too from Dino to say here, Ken and uh, Smithy, I'd bite my arm off to go away for any period of time to play for the All Blacks. It's only a short period of your life. Uh, and I can, uh, can vouch for that. When you look back on a relatively long career, it doesn't seem that long all of a sudden uh, when you've got so much of your life ahead of you. Uh, however, um, that's rugby, I'm a cricketer and I don't have to endure the physicality of it but I uh, had some uh, relatively long times away from home 921 here, uh, 8833, 8833 is the text number uh, what we're going for today in our Mount Rushmore as usual on a Tuesday is the four losses, the four losses in sport that have hurt you the most we'll all have different ones, we'll have different ones for different reasons but want to know the ones that have hurt you the most Already have got an interesting text in on that subject. Love to have some more. 921. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, you've been busy already, double eight, double three. Uh, here's a selection 
right from the outset. Uh, number four, the All Blacks losing against France, 1999. Number three, the Black Caps, 2019 final. Uh, number two, 2003 World Cup semi-final, lost to Australia. And uh, number one, Barcelona. Barcelona losing to Liverpool, 4-0. Big, up, uh, big uh, result there. Um, Simon's come in and said the 94, 98, 2012, 2014 grand finals. And the Cricket One Day World Cup final against the Palm Simon, of course, is a Canterbury Bulldogs supporter through and through. The 95 World Cup has kind of become a common theme. Uh, number four, the Cricket World Cup semi to Pakistan in, 90, in the 90s. World Cup semi-final to England in the last World Cup. Um, two Rugby World Cup corner final uh, against France. And number one, uh, the Cricket One Day International final against England. Uh, I think there's one or two there will be in most. Uh, throughout the morning as we do that, uh, double eight double three is the text number there. Uh, and also Ken has come through and said, Smithy, uh, this is not Ken Laban, this is uh, another Ken who uh, we get texts from pretty much every day. Uh, he's a, a Blues supporter, clearly. Smithy, Alex Hodgman, mobile, good, good scrummager and still only young in terms of mobile props. And that's one of the areas, I'll be honest with you, that um, having spoken to Grant Fox here in the area, he's quite open about the fact that that was one of the the areas they were, were trying to remedy. Um, they wanted more out of their props, more mobility around the field. Of course, they had to do this, the core work well, the scrummaging, but needed to see them with ball in hand, needed to see them hitting bodies. Um, and um, you have to say that probably wasn't that apparent in the last two test matches in particular. Um, they were, were out-muscled. And uh, do you, can you coach muscle? Can you coach muscle or do you, is it inherent and do you have to find it? And can you lose muscle? Uh, it appears that maybe you can lose muscle, lose your effectiveness. Is that a technicality or is that um, just the, the way your, your body starts to go and your mindset starts to go? Uh, yeah, it was a long time away from home, but I'm not buying into that, to be fair. It was, it was an odd tour by modern standards. There's no doubt about that. Uh, it was weirdly long, uh, but it's a weird world we're living in, and sometimes you just got to make those kinds of uh, sacrifices uh, to be able, um, you know, to to partake and those that didn't want to be there the whole time for various reasons didn't have to be did they they were able to come and go a little bit as they pleased to be fair uh, Owen Franks to miss the hurricane season through serious injury that's uh, from Michael yes I read that uh, we might uh, just have Owen Franks on the show tomorrow morning actually Michael if you want to listen in there and just uh, find out more about the nature of the injury and the disappointment for the bloke who is coming back to um, you know of course a Cantab through and through a Crusader through and through uh, to probably have his uh, last hurrah in New Zealand rugby and a Hurricanes jersey. So that's uh, not going to eventuate either. So, yeah, plenty uh, plenty for you to come in on today. We look forward to that. Uh, there's another one here. Hey, Smithy, all my four losses that hurt were Rugby World Cup losses. Definitely Rugby World Cup 95 in South Africa. Loss against France, 99. First time I cried after an All Blacks loss, I was living in Australia and by myself. A rugby World Cup 03 loss to Australia in the semi-final after Carlos Spencer gave an intercept for Sterling Mortlock to score a try. 2017, uh, 2007 rugby quarter-final France. Really angry we lost, particularly after Wayne Barnes let that forward pass go to France to score a try. There you go. Uh, plenty of those coming in with a common th- theme throughout. It is 9.30 here on SENZ. After Trudy, we'll have Phil Totorangi in his normal slot for golf. Phil 
Phil Totorangi joins us uh, as we speak. Teared up with uh, Phil Totorangi is 7 o'clock on Saturday mornings here on SENZ together with the Whiskers Series podcast which is out now um, uh, talking to Kiwi legends about their experiences with mental health. Uh, you can donate to Movember now and join the Whiskers Series podcast while you are at it. Good morning to you, uh, Phil Totorangi. Uh, it's hard to know. A lot of highlights for New Zealand golfers towards the end of this year, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and say uh, the golfing year New Zealand wide, uh, New Zealand wise, goes to Lydia, Lydia Ko for me. I, I just think uh, the way she's come back, uh, the image she's portrayed, etc., and winning the Va- the Via Trophy, Var Trophy, Via Trophy uh, was brilliant. Yeah, I agree with you, Pete. I, I think it's been uh, wonderful as, as golf fans, as Lydia fans, um, to see her turn around this, uh, this season. Really started kind of the mid part of last year and um, she managed to keep that, uh, keep that run of form going. Um, I mean, there's a fair bit of class sitting in behind that form. Let's, let's uh, make that very clear. But I think more than anything, she's got back to being Lydia. Uh, we, we knew her as a bubbly little kid that... Uh, it played golf pretty well and played it to the to the point where she became the best player in the world. And then she kind of lost a little bit of innocence. And and I think that that kind of comes that comes with uh, with having a long career. It comes with with jumping to the top of the world at, at a young age. It's hard to sustain that. Um, but you know things got a little bit wobbly, and and it, it doesn't always come back for people. Um, but she's done a, a marvelous job of of turning it around. The, the performances on the course this year. Smithy have been, you know, I, I have a quick quick browse back past the 15 and 16 years when she won four or five times in a season. Yep, that's 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 pretty good. Um, but the, the performances this year, I think she had six finishes inside of the top three and 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 a win um, and a bronze medal to boot. And so. Um, you know that, that she notably was only just a couple of putts away from having a season where she would have been the most dominant player on the LPGA tour. Um, how does how does this work? The, this trophy that she's won for the year's lowest scoring average. How do, how, how do we work that through? Yeah, so uh, all the players out there, so they've got to play minimum number of rounds, maybe seventy rounds for the season. And so the top two women players on the LPGA tour didn't play. As many rounds, uh, the the young woman who just won um, yesterday, Jin Young Ko, uh, out of South Korea, she's had a phenomenal last uh, well last eight nine tournaments. To be fair, I think she had five wins in her last nine starts, um, and but she took a fair bit of time off um, at the start of the season. Was back in South Korea, her grandmother passed away, and was actually considering tossing in the LPGA too. So she didn't play enough tournaments. Neither did Nelly Quarter taking a fair bit of time at home um, throughout the course of the season. That turned out pretty well for her. She had four wins in a, in a, in a major championship as well. So they weren't eligible because they didn't play enough rounds. That's a small technicality. They had better scoring averages than Lydia, um, but Lydia's scoring average of 69.3, I think it was, which it ended up to be. Um, what, what that is a sign of, Smithy, is, is a consistent play throughout the course of the year. Didn't really have a blowout, didn't have a slump in form. She had a couple of performances that were kind of the mid-20s uh, where she finished through the middle of the year, but I think it was 11 top 10 finishes throughout the course of the year, and that just kind of points to a fair bit of consistency. And so 
more than anything, I think it's a nice trophy to go in the, in, the, in the cabinet, but it's another point towards the Hall of Fame. And so she's now within nine points, I think it is, of of securing a sport, uh, a, a spot, sorry, in the LPGA Tour Hall of Fame, which I, I haven't done a whole heap of research, but a little bit of research, Smithy tells me that it's most probably one of the, the hardest halls to uh, to play your way into. Wow, Okay. I had Hall of Fame written down there. You've, you've pretty much covered that for me, but I, I just wondered the significance of that to to a golfer. Uh, you know, does it does it rate up there? I mean, does it go hand in hand with winning majors? I mean, they're the toughest things to win. So you'd have to win uh, one, two, or three of those to to qualify, or is it just consistency over a long period of time? Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing with the LPGA Tour, it's not opinion based. Uh, it's you earn it. You earn it throughout your career by winning major championships, winning tournaments, uh, winning the, the money list, the CME money list, something like what Lydia's done where she's won the uh, stroke average at the end of the year. Um, I think if you finish the year at the end of the year at a number one, you might get a point as well. Um, interestingly enough, the gold medal or, or medaling at the Olympics doesn't go towards the uh, LPGA Hall of Fame, but you've got to earn it through your play. The World Golf Hall of Fame, on, on the other hand, they have a panel, uh, and you're voted uh, upon to, to a you've got to you've got to have um, x number of wins um, to even be considered. But then there's a voting um, academy that goes to work, and you're voted upon whether you enter the World Golf Hall of Fame. In the LPGA, you've got to earn it through your play. And so that's why I say that, you know, uh, it, it, there have been a couple of dodgy dodgy uh, appointments, inductees to the World Golf Hall of Fame where their criteria might have been more about their popularity than, than necessarily what they achieved on the golf course. In the LPGA, it all goes down to wins um, and achievements throughout your career. Right, let's uh, look at uh, the internet. It's gone berserk because uh, one Tiger Woods has been <laughs> spotted or put himself on this with a knee brace or a leg brace, a pretty heavy one too, uh, hitting some balls, man, and uh, that's got the golfing world sitting up straight again. I think within 28 minutes, 5.7 million views, uh, Um So you're, you're, you're right about that. Uh, I, I don't follow the, the likes and the retweets and the this, that and the other. I think there was something like 200,000 likes and 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 retweets were, were up there as well and um yeah look he's the needle right we we, we know that um and for, for all of what's been happening in the golfing world since february um you know it, he, he posted a, a swing that takes about three seconds um he's got his track man sitting down there so he's doing more than just a little bit of exercise and it mostly points to that this wasn't his first session on the range he's been hitting balls for a little while uh, there wasn't a lot of speed. Uh, there wasn't a lot of aggression at the ball, but um, hitting a six or a seven iron and um, and making contact and the swing looking like it was, um, you know, all in the right position suggests that um, maybe a return to golf in 2022 is a strong possibility. That would be great. I mean, television companies now, right there and now, rubbing their hands together, I'm sure. Um, one of the, uh, I think one of the most consistent players on the uh, US PGA Tour is also very successful on the European Tour. 
Uh, he portrays a lovely image, this fellow, um, Colin Morikawa. He's had uh, a heck of a year as well. He really has, Smitty, and he's only 24. Um, as you point out, a young guy that's um, got a fair bit of promise. I mean, the, the, you break down his first 60 events as a professional. Two of them were majors. They were in his first two starts, and the first time that he had even played those major championships. He's had six wins overall, four of them uh, second-place finishes, so he's been pretty close to the mark. 24 out of his 60 starts, he's finished inside the top 10. He's made just just shy of $20 million on the golf course, um, winning a World Golf Championship in his first try. He's undefeated in his first Ryder Cup. I'm not so sure whether there's too much more that Morikawa could have achieved in his first couple of seasons as a professional. Uh, very, very precise uh, with his iron game. Uh, he's the best iron player on the planet by far. Uh, not long and a little bit shaky at times, to be fair, on the putter. Um, but one thing he has got, Smithy, and he showed that this uh, in, the, in the finale on the European Tour uh, just overnight on Sunday night, when Rory McIlroy had the lead going into the last round, he is a closer. Um, and, and when he puts himself in contention, gets a sniff of it on Sunday. Um, we've seen this just about all the way through. This six and going five of them have come from behind. When he gets a little sniff, he closes things out, and uh, that's a pretty good trait. Put all the rest of it to the side. If you're uh, in contention going into the final day, you shoot something in the mid-60s, generally going to be good enough to, um, to have your name on a trophy. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Uh, Phil, thank you very much this morning, um, uh, and uh, we'll look forward to listening to you on Saturday morning. Tee it up uh, at 7 o'clock. Thank you. Thanks, as always. Yeah, appreciate it, Smithy. I just want to give just a little nod. We're just coming to the end of yep. um, November and, and this November promotion that uh, everyone's been doing across uh, all their shows, and, and, and tip of the cap to everybody who's kind of pitched in on that. Um, spoke to Steve Devine the other day. I had a really honest mm. and pretty frank and sobering conversation with Steve about his concussions and the, the conclusion of his career and, and the darkness that uh, that came over him uh, when, he, when he stepped away from rugby and what the hell was he going to do. Now he's involved in saving lives with fire and emergency. And so just wanted to kind of point people towards the Whisker series, which will be up a little that, that interview um, with, with Steve will be up a little bit later on this week. Um, and so just want to take a, a time to uh, just shout out to everybody that uh, if, you're, uh, if you need to have a chat with someone, if you need to, um, to, to, to have a conversation with where things are at in your life, certainly reach out to those that you love, maybe those that you don't know too well that just uh, say, hey, I'm not travelling too well, can you, can you give me some help? Or keep an eye out for those friends and family that, uh, that might be sending signs that, hey, things are a little bit off kilter here. So just a good time to, to recognise that and remind everyone to, to look out for everyone that's, um, that, that's in their workplace uh, that you may well be sitting aside right now. Thanks very much, Bill, for those sentiments and uh, those thoughts. Yep, uh, I think it's a terrific a terrific observation and it's been a, a wonderful promotion, uh, that series throughout November. So I look forward to listening to uh, Steve Devine and Phil Tottering at 7 o'clock. Uh, this Saturday morning with his golf show in particular, Tee It Up with Phil. 9.44 here on SENZ. Uh, some more texts to read out there, plenty of them. And, and of course, uh, a multi just before 10 o'clock.
From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Certainly a lot of texts have come in this morning on this uh, Mount Rushmore subject of the day. The first uh, the f- first four losses that have hurt you the most. Uh, in uh, no particular order, a lot of them have come in, but here's one in order from Joe in Nelson Bay, Australia, New South Wales. Thanks very much for listening in, Joe, from over there. Um, hey, Smithy, my Mount Rushmore, number four, the 1999 Rugby World Cup. Number three, the 2007 Rugby World Cup lost to France. I was in Wales at the time. Uh, number two, 2005 Bullers third division NPC semi-final loss to Wairapa Bush, having played in it, Joe. Uh, and number one, the one-day cricket final against England. Cheers. Uh, Brendan has come in and said, uh, the 07 quarter-final loss to France. I lived in Dublin, got Given awesome tickets on the Wednesday game. Uh, game week managed to get a flight and accommodation in Bristol. Uh, the loss was bad enough, but my mate, who I work with in a very busy pub, was selling my phone number for five quid. So about 50 ticks, I threw, after about 50 ticks, I threw my phone onto the pitch only for the security card to give it back to me. Got 180 uh, quid uh, taxi to the outskirts of Bristol after a good few beers. Bad night out, Brendan. That sounds like a... a uh, a real good story, and I think you've just given us the edges of it. Uh, Craig says, um, Hi, Smithy, my first, uh, my worst loss is number four, uh, SVG, saying uh, Van Gisbergen's Bathurst lost after a starter motor failure in the pits in 2014. The 1995 Rugby World Cup final loss, the 2019 Cricket World Cup final, and Team New Zealand's loss to Oracle back in 2013. Yeah, that was one that, that hurt us a lot. Jared says, 1995 Rugby World Cup, thanks to Susie. Uh, the 2019 Cricket World Cup, cruel loss to the Poms, any loss to Australia in cricket, and the 2013 America's Cup loss in San Francisco to Mr Spittle. Uh, Todd has said, uh, number four, uh, 2007 World Cup cricket final loss to, oh, sorry, World Cup quarter final loss to France. Uh, number three, 2019 Cricket World Cup final, 2019 Rugby World Cup semi-final, 2000. Uh, it's number two, and 2016 NBA Western Conference Finals Game 6, OKC versus uh, Golden State. AKC blew a big lead uh, to go to the NBA Finals, which changed the NBA landscape massively as Kevin Durant left uh, OKC and went to Golden State as a result. So uh, just a few, uh, one more one before we go to a break. Uh, David Tua uh, losing to Lennox Lewis, disappointing loss. That wasn't it, really wasn't even in it. Uh, the Warriors uh, versus the Chickens in 2002. Uh, Dan Hooker's lost to Barbosa, And Tane Randall's tenure as All Blacks captain. It's mm, an interesting one. So we'll take a break on the, on the note of that one. 9.52 here on SENZ Multi, just before 10 o'clock. Sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Know when the fold up Smithy's multi Know when to walk away And know when to run Bet live on your favourite sports Download the TAB app today Yes, if you're going to bet live Please gamble responsibly That is our request to you uh, Yesterday, uh, the LA Chargers beat the Pittsburgh Steelers They had to uh, withstand one hell of a comeback From Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers But they did in the end with a late touchdown of their own So they wanted the $1.35 Phoenix Suns easily accounted for Denver at $1.30. 
The Chicago Bulls took a, a little a time, but in the fourth quarter they were dominant to win over the Knicks uh, at $1.43. And Portland Timber, uh, they beat Minnesota in the football 3-1. So we got that one up, $5.27. Uh, good start to the week. Let's continue on, shall we? Uh, let's go today for uh, Monday night football in the NFL, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to beat the New York Giants. They will. Um, but I'm saying that uh, they're going to have a minus 11 handicap. So that's $1.87. They have to win um, by 12 or more. The Brooklyn Nets to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers at $1.41. And the Washington Wizards to beat the Charlotte Hornets at $1.55. Uh, so that will get us back $4.09. After 10 o'clock, uh, we're going to be talking to George Berry. He's a former um, New Zealand journalist, but he's a, a real NBA pundit. Plenty happened yesterday with LeBron James being ejected, didn't see that very often. Uh, so what will be the upshot of that? Uh, that'll be interesting. Keep those uh, texts coming in as well, Double eight, double three. Not just on uh, the Mount Rushmore, uh, what about this review process from uh, New Zealand rugby? Will it come to anything? Will there be changes? My uh, punters, perhaps not. I don't think they'll make any drastic changes at all, but uh, we'll see. Uh, it could be, it could well be that that is the case. So uh, we shall, um, we'll have to wait and see um, from that. But uh, I think once the pain dies down, uh, things uh, will just fall into place again, like they always do. Uh, and yeah, great comments from uh, Legend Ken on the All Blacks. I uh, totally agree uh, with that text coming in. Mm. So that's uh, what we've got coming up in the, in the next hour, as well as a, a panel, which today will consist of Jeff McCainch. And living the good as well. It's 10 o'clock. Sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh oh, Stewart and LeBron. Stewart is hot. And everybody's coming out now. Now, this is ridiculous. Yeah, he must have caught an elbow or something, but. Oh, yeah, he's, he's got a lot of blood streaming from the side of the eye. Look, here goes Stewart. <laughs> yeah, I think he's a little upset. You've got coaches. You've got security guys. Look at Dwayne Casey's like, just calm down. It was along the free throw line on the free throw, and he's still trying to get loose. <laughs> he is knocking over. I mean, he's out of the game without question. I mean, this it's is like he's running through the line. That's nuts. That's just yeah, crazy that's, right that's now. That's just crazy. That's crazy right now. Yeah, amazing scenes, actually, wasn't it, uh, in that match between the Lakers and Detroit yesterday? Uh, things getting more than just a little heated. Uh, and LeBron James, uh, I think, was uh, as guilty as anyone on the whole deal. But uh, Isaiah Stewart not handling it all well. And uh, really, it went on for a long time. And you might have heard in the background the PA announcer imploring people to stay in their seats and not go on the court. Uh, there was a lot of people involved. And it's gone all around the world virally, as these things tend to do. Uh, I'm watching on, I'm sure, with a lot of interest, uh, was uh, George Berry. Uh, who uh, comes into us uh, as a Kiwi journalist, of course, but an expert on the NBA. Uh, good morning to you, George. Uh, not the first time these sorts of things uh, have been uh, seen on an NBA court, but unusual to see LeBron James in the thick of it. Morning, Smithy. Yeah, it's an odd one, isn't it? Um, 
obviously LeBron is is the face of the league and a lot of people kind of run the decisions based off what LeBron thinks in terms of social justice issues and things like that and that are bigger than basketball. But yeah, to see him in the thick of it, it it's pretty pretty interesting. Um, it was definitely a, a pretty over overblown ordeal, especially by Isaiah Stewart. Um, if you've seen the video, you'll see that he's not a small human. He is a, he is a massive human being. I, I looked up his... Um, his stats and everything, and I can't, he's 113 kilos of what looks like just pure muscle, and he was hard to put down. Um, a lot of his medical staff, coaches, players trying to contain him yesterday, but he was just simply on a rampage. Um, yeah, pretty sad to see on his part, and and yeah, you, you were saying, you know, LeBron looking like he's pretty guilty there. I, I tend to agree, Smithy. I, um, you know, you look at the replays of, of the incident, and it does look pretty deliberate what he did, you know, throwing that elbow to mm. the to the kind of brow area, cutting open Isaiah Stewart's eyebrow there and a lot of blood showing. So um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in terms of suspensions and fines from here. Yeah, look, sometimes they, they often say, George, that it's the retaliation which is the real fault in these things. But I'm not sure in this particular case that if you slow it down, that was a more than deliberate act. It was, often, nine times out of ten, some of these collisions, uh, these clashes, uh, because they're such big bodies, as you say, uh, can be slightly accidental. I'm not sure about this one, and I, I would have thought that if they're going to make an example of someone, uh, LeBron James might be not a bad target in this instance. Yeah, yeah, you could be right. I, I, around the free throw line, you know, they're all standing in either, you know, three people or two people on the side of, of the free throw line there, and you do see the old elbow thrown to try and, you know, get get in the way of the player and grab a rebound if the ball comes off the rim instead of going through and, and the free throw, but yeah, it just seems like LeBron put a bit of effort into that, and I think Isaiah Stewart was in the wrong place at the wrong time, quite simply. Um, the way that Isaiah Stewart kept the, the incident going, I think, unfortunately, I think he'll get maybe an extra game than LeBron. I think LeBron will definitely get one game suspension, which um, you know Knicks fans will be disgusted at because he was about to play at Madison Square Garden, which is always a, an absolute occasion. Um, so he won't play that game. Uh, I think Isaiah Stewart, because of what happened, and you know, you look at the video, he's actually tackling. Well, he's actually kind of running over his own medical staff and stuff to try and reach LeBron, and you know, they're hitting the floor. I think that's just a bad look, and I think the Pistons, the Detroit Pistons, um, may talk to the NBA and kind of come to an agreement that at least a couple of games, maybe two or three, for Isaiah Stewart might be the way to go. Uh, okay, uh, well, it's not too long before they face each other next week, and. Uh, of course, they play so many games in a short space of time. So uh, with only those minimal game suspensions, you, you kind of figure we'll see them uh, lock horns, so to speak, for a bit of a bit of phrase um, sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah, you really will. It's, it's the beauty of the NBA, isn't it? An 82-game season. Um, yeah, it'll, be, it'll certainly be interesting. And, you know, you heard that you heard that um, PA announcer, you know, telling people to stay in their seat, not to throw things on the court and, you know, obviously, you know, Detroit is, is not um, unfamiliar to, to things happening on the court. You know, you think of the Malice in the Palace. Um, things have happened there in the past, so I think all Detroit workers in that in that arena and, and staff and front office were probably just crossing their fingers that nothing got too serious and luckily he was finally able to be contained and, and taken out the back. Mm. And, and he was ejected, obviously, same with LeBron. That was only LeBron's second ever ejection in his career, 19-year season. It's pretty remarkable, really. It is. 
it is for a big man in such a small confined area. Uh, it is, but I, I'm 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 with you. I, I think he might be the guilty party here. Uh, look, uh, let's look mm. at uh, better aspects of uh, of the uh, NBA, and uh, it appears uh, Golden State Warriors have rediscovered their mojo that uh, looked like it might have gone missing, and then uh, with that, of course, coincidentally, uh, they're already talking about MVP for Steph Curry. Yeah, that's that's pretty remarkable to watch. To be honest, um, I've got some. Some good stats here that I've that I've found here. So Steph Curry, he's he's well and truly, like you said, found his rhythm again. He's he's playing out of his skin. He's leading them to the best record in the NBA right now. They're fifteen and two, leading the Western Conference. So Steph Curry has had four games where he's had nine three pointers already this season. He's had two forty point games, one forty five point game, and a fifty point game. This is this is in seventeen games, and overall. A stat came out earlier this week that I saw that Steph Curry's had 38 games in his career where he's had nine three-pointers or more. And the closest stat in NBA history is James Harden with just nine. So this guy is just playing absolutely out of his skin. And it's not just him. Their, their, their motto is strength in numbers. And, you know, you look at yesterday's game, I think they were playing the Toronto Raptors. Um, it was a close game. Steph Curry was being pretty much double-teamed the whole game. Their, 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 the Toronto strategy was just to, just to trap Steph. Just he can't shoot. Um, but you know Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins, you know they came out with 30-point games themselves. Draymond Green is back playing what looks like some of his best defense. He's he's defensive of the, of the year candidate right now. So you know it's a it's a real team effort. But when you have a guy like Steph Curry as your as your ringleader, um, I'm sure you're probably just having the time of your life playing basketball, really, aren't you? It doesn't matter where he plays. There's always going to be immense interest in Stephen Adams. Uh, and now this association uh, with Memphis. Um, how do you uh, how do you figure it's going for Stephen this time round? It's really interesting, Smithy, because when he got when he got traded there, he got traded for um, Memphis traded their centre Jonas Valanciunas, which I kind of view as just a, a better version of Stephen Adams. He can shoot more. He can shoot the three. You know, despite I think this is Stephen Adams' what eighth or ninth season, maybe he, he still can't he still isn't shooting the three in games which is an issue. Um, so they, they traded for Steven and a draft pick just to get a, a bit more younger talent. He's come in and he, he got up to a good start. Um, it was clear that from listening to you know Memphis media and stuff like that, that um, Steven was being a real mentor to the younger guys, which is fantastic. They've got some really good young talent with the likes of Ja Morant, who is probably you know top two or three young talent in, in the league right now. Um, at the moment, Steven is playing two less minutes than last season. So his minutes have gone down. His points have gone down. But his assists and rebounds have gone up, which is which is good. But at the moment, Memphis are in a, a big-time slump. They've lost, they lost both games this weekend. They lost one game by 43 points to the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are not that good themselves. And their record's 8-8, eight and eight, so that's not bad. That's 500. But five of their eight losses have been by 20 or more points. So... It's not looking too good, and plus, to make matters worse, they have the worst defense in the league right now. You think that Stephen Adams, you know, with his big body and known for his defensive presence, would kind of look to to shake that up a bit and 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 help kind of move the defense in the right direction? It just seems like, yeah, it just seems like the last couple of seasons, to be honest with Stephen, that he just can't really make a a massive impact. And I don't know what what's that what what that's down to. Maybe he's just you know, played with some really remarkable players in Oklahoma City, the likes of Kim Duran and Russell Westbrook and Paul George. You know, a lot of all-stars came through that team. Now that he's kind of on the younger teams, perhaps with less talent, he just really can't find his footing. I, I can't really 
put my finger on it to be honest, Smitty, but I just can't really see him making a massive impact at the moment with this team. They're very young and they're, I don't know whether they're looking to win a lot of games. So I don't know where he, where he kind of fits in this team. And I just I think he he's only 28. Like he's got a long time in this in this league left if he wants. I just think if he wants to remain kind of um, seen in this league, I think he just needs to start shooting threes. Like we saw all off season, he's putting videos up of him shooting three pointers, and I thought. Fantastic, this is the season. New team, new opportunities, new coach. Maybe he'll start shooting some threes, but still nothing. He just, I don't know. A, a lot of people his size have, have kind of come to the, the realisation that they've got to shoot threes to remain kind of, you know, tenable in this league. And I just don't think Stevens found his foot, his footing since leaving Oklahoma City. Okay, let's uh, look at a couple of prog- problem children. I, I view from a layman's point of view from the outside. One on the court, Russell Westbrook. Where does he fit? I mean, you, you know... Uh, this is a, a star-studded outfit, the Lakers, but he just doesn't seem to fit the mix in most teams he goes to. Yeah, it's a, it's a real conundrum, isn't it? Um, he, he's, just, he's such an interesting character. It's, you know, it's Russ's way or the highway. Um, I, I would hate to coach him, to be honest. Um, I think, looking at his season last year with Washington, he, he was... He got after a shocking start, kind of like what he's doing now. Like last night, he played good against the Pistons, but I think he's just really struggling to find an identity since leaving Oklahoma City. He was the guy in Oklahoma City. He was the MVP, the triple double king, and I think he needs to. Yeah, he's getting to a stage where he wants to win championships, and that that requires being on a team like the Lakers with you know Anthony Davis and LeBron James. But I think he just thrives there when he's on his own. His, when it's his team, you know, because he needs the ball all the time. He's a very high-usage guy. Loves to have the ball in his hands at all times. Loves to tell people what to do. Um, yeah, I, I just think he's struggling to find his, his footing right now. And look, last last season in Washington, at the, at the second half of the season, he was playing some incredible basketball. And he led that team from pretty much nothing to a, a play-in spot in the playoffs. Um, so look, it, it might come around and he might just be off to a slow start. That's what he's been like the last couple of seasons. Um, I I didn't like the move to the Lakers. I, I really didn't like it when they when they traded for Russell Westbrook. Um, I just think there's there's too many big heads trying to trying to control the team there right now. And I I just don't think it's going to work for them. To be honest, I, I think it's going to be a pretty bleak outlook. The Seventy Sixers, um, well, their season is underway and uh, it's not been. A uh, brilliant start for Doc Rivers on the court. And then we get this ridiculous situation where this Ben Simmons, um, who's on, I guess, megabucks, but it's costing him a fortune every time he doesn't front up. What is? How can this still be carrying on? How's, how has someone not just stepped in and sorted this? Yeah, I mean, how long have we got to talk about this situation? This could go on for hours, to be honest with you. This is, it's getting ridiculous now. And the fact that he hasn't been traded, the fact that he hasn't, shown up and actually played, it's, it's actually just getting a bit sad, to be honest, for both parties. Um, look, Ben Simmons has come out and said he's, he's, he's got some mental issues he's working through, and I completely respect that and, and, and everything. But he also, you know, the 76ers have reached out and, and have offered their team counsellors, which, you know, they should do. He's part of the organisation still, but he's rejecting that. He's going to outside counselling and stuff like that, and he's not telling them how he's going with progression and it's, it's just getting a bit petty now, and if he doesn't, I don't think he's going to play for the 76ers ever again. It's just a matter of both sides now are just waiting to be the bigger man. Like he'll either get traded, and Ben Simmons will get what he wants, or Ben Simmons will 
pretty much just just find his own way somewhere and and be the bigger man. It's kind of just a it's literally just a competition of who is the bigger man in the situation now. The 76ers organization or Ben Simmons in his camp, and it's it's actually just really sad to be honest, just to to see the pettiness that's going on. Um, yeah, I, I think Ben Simmons is a great talent. I think he. I think he needs to kind of sort out his attitude towards the game of basketball. I think he's a, a big me me guy. Like, it needs to be all about him. The, the front office and the team pretty much built the team around him, not Joel Embiid, who is by far one of, the, one of the best, if not the best big man in the league right now. They built that team around him so he would feel comfortable. And now he's not showing up. He showed up to one training and sat there, maybe did one defensive drill. Uh, drill. Then when the team went in for a huddle, he walked off and left. Like, he's... He's he's big time sulking and he's just wanting a way out. But I I I, don't, I honestly don't think he might not even play basketball for the whole season. It, it's it, it's just it's just gross to be honest. Oh, well, I'll miss the worst free throw shooter in the land. Then won't they? That's about the essence of that, George. <laughs> um, hey, look, thanks very much for your time this morning and the, those uh, updates. Uh, great to chat to you, and we'll call you uh, quite often throughout the season with uh, your great knowledge on it. I appreciate it, George. Thank you. Thanks, Smithy. It's an absolute treat to be on. Yeah, cheers. George Berry there, folks. Uh, right. Uh, absolutely, absolutely into the NBA and uh, the happenings there. And yesterday's one was uh, a big happening by uh, what they do over there and what they expect from their superstars. They certainly didn't get it out of uh, LeBron and Isaiah Stewart yesterday. It was uh, what you'd call ugly, absolutely ugly. Um, anything but ugly, though, is our panel this morning. Uh, Jeff McTainch and Lavina Good, and they're up next. Lavina Good is on the panel this morning, and she is joined by Jeff McTainch. And uh, Jeff, uh, they are having a review at NZR. They probably do at the end of every uh, season and every tour of that kind of magnitude anyway. Uh, What do you think will come out of it, Uh, particularly if we look at the coaching staff? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, Lavina listeners. Um, mate, it's an interesting one. I uh, look at everything you've read about it uh, in the days that have followed this this French uh, defeat, and and of course against Ireland the week before. You know, people are calling for for Ian Foster to go. People are calling for the assistants to go. People are saying, actually, you know, it's player accountability. Got to put some on the players. Then on the other side of it, people are saying, well, it's been a long tour. You know, these guys have been away from home for for a very, very long time, in and out of suitcases. Um, so, so you factor that, and they're playing these home nations at home. They get to sleep in their own beds, so you put all that in there. Um, I, I think my, my opinion is you, you have, they've made their decision. They've made their decision to stick with Ian Foster. So it's one of those situations, mate, where maybe they, made, maybe they got it wrong, but you have, to, you have to get around them now, and you have to rally around them. I mean, I know the assistant coach's situation... Uh, is up in the air as well. Tony Brown in, in the past has said no. Scott Robertson, of course, wants to have uh, the top job himself. Interesting hearing his comments the other day at the Crusaders unveiling for the Super Rugby Pacific, uh, you know, being rather coy and, and had his own opinions. Um, but look, it's clear, mate, it's clear. It's clear that the All Blacks have gone backwards. Uh, I was reading an interesting article the other day telling Cleaver had a guy wrote in, uh, in, in his mailbag for his subscription and said, uh, suggesting that you know we've been evolving over the years. Laurie Maines, John Hart, Wayne Smith, um, Sir Graham Henry and the Steve Hansen era. The All Blacks were always ahead of the game in some way. We were always innovating. But perhaps um, now it's, it, it's evident that the Northern 
hemisphere teams had caught up. We always criticised the way the Springboks played their rugby. But isn't it working out? Sure, that was a close defeat against the English, but maybe, uh, maybe we've transitioned too much to being the team that's all things for all people, ball playing, all throughout the positions. We've always been good at that in New Zealand rugby, but it's clear two things at the moment. We need a forward pack that can step up and muscle up up front and win set piece regularly against these Northern Hemisphere teams. So they've got to look at that. They've got to look at getting over the advantage line in midfield. We've been blessed with great combinations uh, since the 2011 World Cup. Manu, Conrad Smith, Sonny Bill Williams, Ryan Crotty, world-class midfield players. We do have world-class midfield players, but we need that combination. And I think we need a 12 that can get us gain line. So lots to think about, lots to consider. Still a long way away from the next Rugby World Cup, but gee, there's work to be done. Okay, Lavina, is it as simple as just let's keep them and wish them all the best, or what for you? Yeah, I mean, I advocated a couple of years ago. I was a big fan of Jamie Joseph and Tony Brown taking over um, that coaching role, but they made a decision to go with Bozzy, and I don't think they're going to change that right now. I just think there's a couple of interesting things, and I agree with a lot of what Jeff said. Um, when it comes down to the All Blacks, though, I don't think they're going backwards or, or getting worse. I really do believe these other countries are catching up. I mean, this Irish side, 10 years ago, the Irish would just get on the Guinness and smoke in the sheds and, and hope that they would try and keep within the All Blacks in the last 20 minutes, and they've completely changed their training regime to make it more professional on the back of what the All Blacks have done because they set the bar. I mean, that French side, they were so physical and so ambitious. It was glorious rugby to watch, and they looked so fit. They looked like elite athletes, and the French didn't look like that 12 years ago. So I think the rest of the world are catching up to the All Blacks, and it is a wake-up. I don't think we need to panic too much. We've got a couple of years until the World Cup. I do believe Fozzie will be in charge when it comes round to the World Cup, but questions need to need to be asked. I don't think it's an issue for the All Blacks being overseas and not sleeping in their own beds. I know that they're all staying in first-class accommodation and they get to play plenty of golf. I don't think that's going to be a problem for them, but I do agree <laughs> that that forward, that forward pack certainly has to work out on that breakdown. They really need to do that. And there are questions that need to be asked, whether or not it needs to be a formal um, report into what went wrong, I don't know. It would have been really interesting, actually, guys, if they would have played France and also Ireland at the beginning of the tour. Because maybe the, the, the issues with the All Blacks were happening at the beginning of the tour that Australia just weren't a force to contend with. Um, this is a side that did did win the Tri Nations. They did win the the championship. So it's not like the you know it's all dire at the moment. But it would have been really interesting if they played these European sides at the beginning of the tour, and then we really realised as fans and rug, rugby extraordinaires what was going wrong with the All Blacks. Plenty of work to be done. No need to panic too much. I do believe in two years' time when we head over to the World Cup, the All Blacks will be favoured to take out the tournament. Okay. Well, that's very interesting indeed. Um... I, I, I was interested uh, yesterday to talk to Scott Robertson very briefly, and uh, we just tried. We nibbled away, Jeff, on the uh, All Black performance, <laughs> but he stayed well away yeah. from it, saying I, I, I'm not yeah. in a position. And my son suggested yeah. to me, my youngest son suggested to me, that that might be the fact that someone's rung him and said, just play cool here. Uh, it might not be all over Red Rover. Uh, other than that, that you know, you're, you haven't got any, any input into it for two years. Have a crack. I mean... It was interesting, his stance with the media yesterday. Yeah, he's in an interesting position, isn't he, mate? Because he, he's got, uh, what, nine, ten odd All Blacks um, you know, under him in, in Super Rugby. So he's got a direct influence on how these guys are playing their franchise rugby before the, uh, before the test season. Um, yeah, mate, I, look, I don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but stranger things have happened. Um, a lot's going to depend on, um, I guess, the confidence levels of, of Ian Foster and, um, and w- what he's doing. So, 
uh, again, strange when you said, I, I, I think Scott Robinson, uh, that IP, needs to be involved some way, shape or form. It, it's really going to depend on what he wants to do because he's made his stance quite clear uh, publicly in the past. Obviously, he wasn't talking uh, on Monday. So um, it would be a shame if, if, if in some way he didn't have a higher role to play uh, as we head towards France 2023. OK, uh, please stay with us. We've got the news now. Uh, Lavina and to you, Jeff. Uh, Trudy with the news shortly. And then when we come back, we're going to look at uh, a couple of performances on Australian soil of differing qualities, I think it's fair to say. The opinions, the panel. Jeff McTainch and Lavina good with us uh, this morning on the panel. And Lavina, Shane Van Gisbergen, triumphant uh, in an abrupt and sort of staggered, staggered sort of a season. I love him. I absolutely love Shane. I reckon he is amazing. I'm, I'm so proud of him. I remember he had a really bad shoulder injury um, in round two. He actually came off a bike, not a motorbike, <laughs> came off a bike and injured his shoulder really bad. And he, he even says now that um, it'll never be the same ever again. And he, he managed to win that round two victory. And in fact, throughout the year has won um, 14 victories. And he won his first title back in 2016. I followed his career um, very closely, and he's just going to be a motorsport great here for New Zealand. And I'm just so proud of him. And I know that to win it in Sydney when it was all rained out isn't what he would like to celebrate. I know he'll get the opportunity to celebrate it at Bathurst, and also he is the defending champion at, at Bathurst, so there's an opportunity for him there when the chequered flag comes comes through. But what a what a great guy! And to be up there with Jim Richards and Scott McLaughlin, who he's been so competitive with in the past. It's just really worth celebrating for the Kiwis. And I know lots of people in this country are lamenting what's happening with the Black Caps and, and also the All Blacks. When, when you take a look at this sport in Australia, which is dominated by Australian sponsors and Australian vehicles, to have a kid come through at just 30 years of age and, and drive a number 97 Commodore and to be victorious throughout the year and to teach the Aussies how to do it on a racetrack is just absolutely magnificent and I can hardly wait to see him go around the track at Bathurst because he's one of few that have ever won the six hour, the Bathurst 1000 and also the 12 hour so he's phenomenal and he deserves to be celebrated and I'm glad we have an opportunity to talk about him on the radio this morning Okay uh, Jeff McTainch, uh, I want to go uh, at the Black Caps uh, with you here on this one I was really disappointed actually after the highs of that T20 World Cup Missing out to Australia, okay, fair enough, that was disappointing. But then to go to, to, then to, go to India and get progressively worse uh, a, a week later, uh, I don't run with that. I really don't. I, I think that's very disappointing, and I don't think we should just cast it aside. Mate, it's an interesting one. Look, obviously they've got the test matches uh, in, what, a few days' time, and, and um, you know, winning a test match on Indian soil uh, pretty tough for anybody, especially the Black Caps, as we know. So I, I know they've been focusing on that. Uh, they've been resting their players accordingly. But I tend to agree with you. I think you come off a World Cup cycle where we weren't all so close. Sure, we didn't have um, uh, a, a marquee player in Devon there with his, his hand injury uh, when we needed him most. And, and really, that um, was reading your, uh, your your comments piece uh, yesterday. In fact, that, that sort of that was the balance it threw them off balance a wee bit. That, that mix of the team, and, and perhaps that would have been the difference. But yeah, I agree. I think. We've, we've progressed to a stage now with this New Zealand cricket team where I think um, we, we should expect more, uh, even from, if you, if you want to call it a bridging series, uh, like, like that uh, in the T20s against India, we should expect more. Um, 
but I, I hope that uh, you know what um, what Gary Stead's done and, and, and Kane resting and Trent resting and and giving these guys a bit of a freshen up, um, you know, does pay off uh, for uh, for the Test series. And I think I think hopefully uh, we'll go okay. Right, uh, Lavina, let's uh, pop across back across the Tasman here, will you? Because uh, obviously the the hottest topic at the moment is the bloke who's just lost the, the best or the most important job in Australian sport. Uh, that is Tim Payne, the captain, or former captain now of the Australian Cricket Test Team. Uh, it used to be Shane Warne was the master of text, and uh, we used to get a little bit nervous and uh, and read all the consequences of those, but this is a doozy, this one, and that's put Shane Warne's efforts uh, very much into the background. Australian cricket has raised its ugly head once again. I was actually just thinking about the Black Caps and how poorly they've performed um, against India because I had high expectations of them, Smitty, I really do, and I thought, well... I'd kind of probably prefer the Black Caps to go to India and perform poorly rather than realise that the captain of your national side has lost his position because he sent photos of his old Jack's crackers to someone that he used to be or work with. And I think, how disgusting is it for Australian cricket at the moment? And they've had their ugly stages as well. They're misogynistic at times. Um, they've been through sandpaper gates. They've sledged, they've lied, they've cheated, they've drunk, they've smoked. And it's not transparent. And I keep thinking, I just, I don't know Kane Williamson that well. I really don't. I admire him tremendously because he comes here from Todonga and he's a real good guy from what I can tell. But I know that he would never even think about doing what that former Australian captain did. And there's a lot to be learned. There's a lesson learned there. And I think the big boys club that has dominated Australian cricket for a very, very long time needs to be more transparent and not wait four years to get stuff like this out. And they really have to take a good look at themselves and realise what makes a great leader. And a great leader isn't just someone who's a champion or the best at what they do. It's someone that has decent followers and someone who has integrity. And that's what that Australian former captain is missing. Yeah, well, Jeff, obviously uh, you've watched this uh, scenario play out over the last, uh, well, two to three Mm. days. Um, Ash is round the corner. Don't need this. You Mm. really don't need this. Yeah, and I just want to touch on what Lavina said, and I tend to agree. Look, um, and and guys, you would have played against Smithy, you know, Alan Border, Mark Taylor, and and Steve War. And then growing up watching Steve War play in that fantastic Australian team uh, of the nineties, you know, like that was he was a role model even from across the ditch for for people. You know, he led he led well, and um, and you know, you didn't see this sort of thing going. We had in recent times with Steve Smith, as as Lavina said, with with Sandpaper Gate. So. The real shame, I think, for Australian cricket. Now uh, Tim Payne's brother-in-law, I see Shannon Tubbs, been dragged into it. Apparently, he uh, was uh, was had sent the same messages or similar messages to uh, the same employee from Cricket Tasmania. So now he's under uh, investigation. He's actually the academy uh, coach at uh, the South Australian Cricket Association. So I say Pat Cummins is, is probably in line to get the uh, the captaincy, be the youngest uh, alongside. Um, Pup Michael Clark, uh, 45 years to, to lead the Australian team. Uh, as you say, in a, in a you know trying to defend the Ashes title against England this summer, um, he has a lot of support around him. Guys that have played a truckload of Test cricket, um, you know Stark and, and Smith and uh, and Lyon and so on. So um, you know it'd be great for, for Pat to come in and, and take that. But just the circumstances around being elevated to the captaincy. Won't be the nicest uh, for, for Pat Cummins, would it? To be okay, mate, you're the captain, but this is, uh, you know, this is kind of why. Interesting one, that Jeff, because I reckon when they appointed Pat Cummins as vice captain, uh, I'm not quite sure it was uh, with the intent that he'd be captain for any long period of time. You know, uh, he was the kind of guy 
who Tim Payne probably, he would have had a say in this, who probably said, I want that guy on the field alongside me, not as only as he's one of my inspirations, but I, the guys look up to him in that. And I'm not quite sure that they really appointed Pat Cummins with a view to mind of a five-match uh, Ashes Test Series mm. in mind as a full-time replacement. So uh, there's a bit of reviewing, I, I would think, going on in that decision. So uh, another interesting one for them, Jeff, to sort through. Mm. Absolutely. And look, players um, in situations like this can, can come to the fore and leadership qualities can actually come out of people. So maybe you throw Pat Cummins into a five-test Ashes Series trying to defend it against England, a very good England side, and, and maybe we will see, maybe we will see um, these leadership qualities come out, the, the glimpses that they saw and that, that Tim Payne saw. Um, I see Tim Payne's come back and played for the Tassie uh, second eleven in some club cricket and mm. got through 65-odd overs of keeping. So I guess the question is, um, does he really still deserve his place in the team? What, what, do, you, what do you reckon? Well, um, if he does, the Barmy Army will be writing songs as we speak. I can promise you that. And the, the, the words will be very, the words will be very interesting. The lyrics will be one of the highlights of the Ashes. I can promise you that. Uh, uh, Levine, I'm not sure if you had a chance. I mean, it's been a great time. If you associate yourself, of course, uh, as being a chief, being in the Bay of Plenty, what a great uh, time it's been for uh, the Chiefs with uh, Waikato and uh, Taranaki winning the uh, re uh, respective. Championships, Premiership, and then, of course, the women, um, the Waikato winning in their 100th year. What a story that's been. But have you had a chance to look at the Chiefs um, in terms of this uh, Super uh, 15 squad? Uh, what are, are we calling Super 15? No, Pacific. Super F Pacific rugby this year. What do you reckon of the, of the yeah. squads? Are the Chiefs that, are they the deal? We're the, we're the best squad in the competition, mate. What are you talking about? These are my cousin bros around the corner over the Kaimai. I mean, Aidan Ross and Ollie Norris up front, you've got our beautiful Brody, hello Brody. Sam Kane's in there, Luke Jacobson, he's going to have his best season ever. And when you look out wide, Brad Weber and young Bryn Gatlin teaming out with Anthony Leonard Brown, it is the best squad in the competition. Not to mention Warren Gatlin is head of rugby for Waikato Chiefs and Clayton McMillan is the coach. Like if you combine all of that together, new faces, old faces, all blacks, right. champions, we're going to take it out. It's the best squad in the competition, the very best. Oh well, let's just get on. Let's get on, Jeff. Uh, I mean, your your Highlanders have got your Highlanders have got no price, Jeffrey. No, no chance, the Highlanders. Mate, yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna talk up the Chiefs, you've got to look at uh, that Highlanders side. I mean, like they've got some decent uh, decent steel up front. Liam Coltman, we know how good he is. Eight Test of the West, Ethan De Groot's come on leaps and bounds. Uh, got some wily old veterans in there, mate. Josh Honnick. Uh, I think that the locking department, I mean, they, they have lost Putty Putty Parkinson, which is a huge loss for them, but they pick up Sam Kidd, who had a, a really, really good uh, NPC campaign with Northland coming back from uh, from the Waratahs. Billy Harmon's out. That's a big blow. James Lempsister, of course. Shannon Frizzell. Gareth Evans comes back down south. And then probably got, you know, the tie. I know he hasn't played any rugby, but Falau Fakatava and Aaron Smith, that's going to be interesting to see, uh, I guess, the balance. Um, for, for Tony Brown in terms of, of how he plays his 2-9. Josh Ioane, that's a big pick-up for you guys, uh, Lavina at the Chiefs. He's been nothing short of sensational this year for, for, for Otago. But, you know, Marty Banks, Smithy, um, outside of a of an Aaron Smith or a Falau Pasava, astute tactician. Uh, Mitch Hunt, we know how good he's been for, for Tasman. And then, you know, a guy like Fatuli Pyre, who was ruled out in the preseason last year, big, strong, ball-running uh, midfielder. Uh, Sarah Thompson, oh, mate, I think they've got, I think they've got enough talent. Jonah Nardiki's a blow, of course, but um, Masisi Dawai is, is moving down, and um, he's he's looked pretty handy 
on the end of the chain for, for Wakatu this year. But that, that blue side, um, I was asked to, to pick a to pick a winner, and I think the, the final will be, dare I say, mm. the Crusaders and the Blues. But that's just to such a beautifully balanced side that Leon McDonald's got. Mm, OK. Well, thank you very much for your opinions this morning. As always, uh, Lavina, forthright, and to you too, Jeff. Uh, it's been fun. Uh, we'll have a, a panel again tomorrow morning at the same time, and uh, we'll let you know who those particular participants are tomorrow morning. Uh, we've got uh, a chance to talk to Louis Herman Watt before, and the TAB before 11 o'clock, as well as some more of your wonderful texts that have flowed in this morning. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Just uh, whistle through a few texts here for you. Our national team, uh, the All Blacks, have been on a downward spiral ever since uh, Wayne Smith parted ways with the previous coaching group. This current lot have taken us backwards at an even more alarming rate with their muddling team selections and lack of rugby nows. And now, after a disastrous end of the season, have the nerve to call the season a success. The NZRU Fozzie and his underwhelming sidekicks have a lot to answer the genuine New Zealand rugby community for. It's uh, from Tomo from uh, Wellington. Um, Kevin has said, because South Africa are no longer in super rugby, our players get no practice at dealing with physicality of northern rugby. Games are lost by the time we get uh, used to the increased physicality. Northern Hemisphere, no, this is na- no, this is how to beat us. I don't see it changing. If the ABs are still to compete at the very highest level, our best players need to be playing in their competition. Mm, that's an interesting one in its own right, isn't it? Uh, great comments from the legend Ken. Ken Laban this morning, of course, on the ABs. I feel physicality is the biggest issue with our game and maybe not having the South Africans and Super Rugby is having an impact on our players. Conditioning come AB games. Overall, that out-and-out mental toughness and leadership of the Richie McCaw days is missing. Simple, the team is not aligned. It's going to be a long summer for some of these boys. Cheers. I think you're right. It might be a long summer, and I'm not quite sure if it's a quick fix. We'll should wait and see. 10.50 here on SENZ. Uh, Louis Herman Watt and the TAB next. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Well, it's time to join Louis Herman Watt, who I can see beavering away on his phone. I'm not sure he's got his headphones on just yet because uh, I'm look. Oh, he has. He has. Yeah, Louis, there he is. I can see them now. Uh, hey, Louis, um, this uh, this um, promotion you're doing in the morning with your breakfast buddies, that that Seven um, Eleven promotion we're doing at the moment, uh, is it just the other? Stations that have to give the clues. I'm just wondering. Um, yeah, Smithy, it's a really good question from you. I always considered you a really hard, you know, of the former athletes, one of the more hard hitting kind of journalists in your next kind of phase of your career. Um, look, the, the simple answer is no. But the, 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 you know, the answer that I'd like to give you is we're a team here at SCNZ. You know, sometimes each show might, you know, miss a beat here and there. And what I love about our communal organisation is we all lean on each other and really help each other out. So um, John Stockton's the answer. <laughs> and? And, uh, the, and the, question, the question is... Who's got the most assists in the NBA all time? I think I think that's the one that we're yeah. going to give out. So that's uh, tomorrow's Baz and his frequency quiz. 
Um, yeah, but look, yeah, that's why I really love working here. Everyone just gets on so well, Smithy. And um, <laughs> yeah, how's that? Oh, uh, well. Hey, just think how hard I'd have gone on you if you spent three or four days at Millbrook. That would have been even harder. Oh, so look see, out. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a really good point, Smithy, because you remember, you got to remember, I'm on the tools here. And I'm, yeah. I'm doing a lot of the, the grunt work at the front of the trench while we've got a couple of um, superstars that are really just sitting out the back like the snipers, and, and that's all right now. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting word, that superstar. Hey, uh, we often talk about... Um, uh, the uh, talent coming out of the Waikato, Cambridge area, but I like to see it coming out of the CD area. Uh, Wolverine for, for Berg, Royden Berg, Burgesson, and he's also got another one too in Nest Egg. So he's looking maybe um, a big paycheck with one of those two. Well, I think um, Wolverine's, so half of it's been sold. It's going to go to Australia. Um, Australian Bloodstock from memory is the person that's bought half, or the group that's bought half of it. But they're going to try for a Karaka Million first, Smithy. So there's plenty of cash on offer with these two-year-olds. You know, just a sensational horseman, Roy. And I hadn't spoken to him before this year, but his work with Waikari and, and now these two, it's really kind of alluded to me to what sort of guy he is. And he's doing a fantastic job down there. And, of course, his son, Sam, doing really good stuff with the Tangerine Army as well uh, under Jamie Richards there. So good horse family, and yep, you're right, bang on, a couple of really nice two-year-olds. Okay, Louis, uh, just stay with us. Don't take the headphones off. Uh, what have we got in prospect for racing this week uh, within the country? Uh, so there's a really nice meet at Otaki on Thursday. Tomorrow morning, we've got tomorrow we've got a, a meet at Tauranga. On Thursday, we've got the Levin Stakes at Otaki. So some nice prize money, a couple of listed races. Bella Conte is going to be backing up in the three-year-old race after her kind of disappointing thousand guineas a couple of weeks ago down there at Rickerton. And then this weekend, Tiaraha. Um, has a really cool meet that's been transferred from Ellerslie, I'm pretty sure, or it should have been at Ellerslie. Of course, the restrictions changed that. And we get Sakura Blossom stepping out. And as I said to you yesterday, like, really can't wait. There'll be some nice horses there, plenty of open handicap and a listed race as well. Um, and we're just looking forward to Smithy. Uh, yesterday we got the news that Ellerslie won't hold its December 9th twilight meet, which is really disappointing. So we're just looking forward and hoping, crossing our fingers like how that we could potentially get back on track for Ellerslie Boxing Day or New Year's Day. But it's not looking overly positive. No, it's not. Another kick in the guts uh, for racing up there in the Auckland area. <sighs> Annoying. So many hard work, so much hard work by a lot of good people uh, going unrewarded. And a lot of things, I suppose, but Dear to us is racing, of course. Uh, dear to us, too, is uh, talking cricket. We'll do that after the break, too, here on SCNZ. The all-new SCNZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Eleven oh two here on SCNZ. Time to talk some cricket, and we might just leave uh, Tim Payne alone. Uh, during this segment, unless uh, our guest Craig Cumming wants to specifically uh, bring him up. It's been uh, one of the tough assignments in Test cricket, of course, taking on India and India. That's exactly what the Black Caps are doing in the two-match series starting in a couple of days' time. Uh, so uh, we'll have a look at that, and perhaps just a little review of the T20 series that went wrong with uh, Craig Cumming, of course, uh, former New Zealand opener, and, uh, of course, now uh, commentator or formerly commentator, and now... Uh, full-time coach of the Otago Sparks, which are having a hell of a season, I think it's fair to say. Uh, so, Craig, coming, uh, good morning to you. What would you like to start on, a winning note or a losing note? You pick. <laughs> oh, it's a good one to pick from, Smitty. Gee whiz, we've got 
well, plenty to be able to do, don't we? Um, you know, I, I suppose it's you know the elephant in the room, Tim Payne. Um, let's uh, quickly get that one out of the road. Um, just yeah, it's a, it's a I don't, I don't know, it's just one of those ones where you made a dumb mistake um, three, four years ago. But the question is, I suppose, when you look at that, is this cricket Australia knew what's going on? Um, it wasn't like it was hidden behind closed doors when it came to them. Um, I don't know whether, unless you know you're in that situation, uh, it's certainly not right. Don't get me wrong. Um, is it worth him resigning three and a half years later to the Australian captaincy? Um, I suppose the reason he's resigning is because it's about to come public. So if it's only good enough because it's going to come public, well then it maybe shouldn't have been good enough three or four years ago. But um, in some ways it's nice that it's their problem, isn't it? And it's not ours. How the hell were they going to chuck that on top of Sandpaper Gate, though? How, how, would, yeah. how would you do that as an administrator? Whack that back on yeah, top. Yeah, that, that's the problem. Yeah, that's the problem. I mean... You know, it's exactly right, and it, it's a it's a mess and one that, as I said, you know, you try and, you know, it's not like he's a young man, um, not like he made a foolish mistake. I mean, you try and teach people these days that social media and you know, you know, cell phones and that, and you try and teach your kids that these are dangerous, dangerous toys. It just shows they're not dangerous for 16 to 18 year olds. They're dangerous up until what he was still 32. Um, and and you know, throw some common sense approach into it. Clearly, he's got a different situation. He's married. He had kids. Um, and that just comes down to the own individual and, and their values and what they live by. So, you know, he's got to deal with that. He's got to live with that. And he's obviously gone through it with his with his family, which is the tough part, and his wife. But, um, you know, it's just an education. And let's just grow up and try and try and act like adults when you're adults. And maybe these stupid things don't come about. Speaking of stupid, uh, it's looking more and more stupid what Devin Conway did to his own hand. Uh, because uh, not only... Not only has it cost him some uh, experience in terms of playing cricket around the world, it's cost us in terms of the balance of our side, and I think it's becoming more and more evident, and I hope like hell it doesn't become more evident in these test matches coming up. Well, I think it will in the fact that we've lost a world-class performer. Um, last time I spoke to you, we talked about feeling safe with Devin Conway, and you know, you've got Kane Williamson, you know, he's performed brilliantly at the top of the order in test cricket, and we've lost that, so... Now we're trying to work out. Uh, they've picked a test squad and, you know, they brought in Mitchell to cover him. Well, that's not a, a like for like, really, is it? And, I mean, who's going to be the opener with Latham? I've been writing down the team and I've probably come up with four different ones, Smitty, when it comes to our starting 11 because playing in the subcontinent goes away from... We just don't even need to play a spinner when we play at home. We didn't play a spinner in, in England. Now we're trying to work out, you know, are we going to play two? Are we going to play three? Who the heck are they? Where do they bat? We're going to have to leave out maybe a seamer, which we never do. So it throws a whole lot of questions, even at the bottom order. Now you've got to try and throw in a not one. Well, who's the replacement for Latham? If it was in New Zealand, it would simply be Young. Simple as that. Um, but now they've got Ravinder there, and, and one of the benefits of Ravinder is he bowls left-arm spin. Um, and good left-arm spin domestically, but I still feel if you're going to pick an opener, he's got to be the best batsman. Um, to be able to play that role. And to me, that's uh, at the moment Will Young. He was always our next one off the rank. And I don't believe Ravindra's earned the right yet just to be our test opener because he bowls left-arm spin. But you go through it, Smitty, it's actually quite a, a tough 11 to pick because of balance. Yeah. I've had a look at it, I, I will say. Uh, yep. One of the question marks I ask myself, particularly as being a, a former wicketkeeper in Indian conditions, would I ask Tom Blundell, who scored a test century opening, of course, um, uh, when it uh, was at the MCG under the spotlight, would I ask him to do both jobs? Um, could I ask him, uh, and could we be flippant enough to say, if we win the toss and bat, you open. If we win the toss or lose the toss and bowl, 
um, you bat down in the order and get Will Young to do it. So this is what I, I've looked at. Latham, Young, Williamson, Taylor, Nichols, they're a given, yeah? Um, then Blundell, yeah. uh, he's a given at some spot. Uh, then you say, okay, let's, uh, let's bargain or let, let's... Um, I, I'm, gonna, <clears throat> I'm not going to uh, um, go on the side of caution and pick Santner because I think we know uh, what Mitch Santner offers to us in test matches. A bit of batting insurance, but really is it. Uh, so I'm going to go Ravindra in that spot. Somerville, Patel, Jamison, and you've got to have Wagner because uh, if you get in trouble, he can try and bowl you out of it uh, with his uh, stamina. So that is the way I'd go. Um, I'm not quite sure it is the way they will go, though. But, um, yeah, interesting combinations. So what about that Santa spot? Yeah, and and that's the one. Yeah, I I thought about that too, and I thought I'm talking to you, but I think it's a heck of a task to ask, you know, Blundell to open the batting. when you, you know, He could end up fielding for 120 overs, Smithy in that heat, and then mm. you're ask him to put on the boards and go straight back out there. I, I don't think, again, that's fair on Blundell. Um, we've, it's going to be a tough enough ask, and you know it better than anyone. I don't think there'll be any tougher conditions for a keeper to keep in than over there in India. Just It's so foreign to our keepers. He's going to be standing up. He's going to be dealing with spin, bounce, non-spin, and the heat. I think it's going to be tough enough to of him just focusing on catching the ball to then ask him to put the boards on and then go and open the batting. I don't think you can do that. Um, and, I, and I'm just trying to work out, you're right with Satra, um, where, where we put him if he makes the side. Because we, we know, given that Patel's our best, left out, our best spinner, um, I would be picking Somerville because he turns the ball back into the right-handers. Um, so there's your two. Wagner and Jamison to me play so Southy if you're going to pick so whether you you pick Southy or do you pick Satner um, and and I'm with you that I don't know I again we'd always go Southy wouldn't we because that's that's the way we go with our um, you know it's our our psyche our DNA um, would they go with Satner that can strengthen the batting he could bat seven and then Jamison eight uh, I don't know I, I, I that's that's the question mark for me. At the end of the day, the reason I wouldn't go with Ravinder at the top, if you're going to play uh, Patel and potentially Satna, that's already you've got two left-arm spinners. You don't need uh, Ravindra um, as another left-arm spinner. You pick your best, you know, six batters, you've got your five batters, you've got your keeper, and then you pick your best five bowlers in those conditions. And to me, at the moment, I'd be having Jamison, Southey, and Wagner. Um, they've all got different roles. They've all got different skills. And we know Wagner can bowl anywhere from the 10th over to the 80th over because that's a skill set. We've got the two spinners, and then Jamison gives you that extra bit of bounce, um, and then Southey has got the new ball, and he can swing the new ball. So I would be, I would say their DNA, the way they make this side up, Smithy, that I reckon they'd go with Southey over Satna personally. Okay, interesting. Uh, my yeah. biggest clue to the conditions, my biggest clue to the conditions, Sid, is this. Uh, they have left out, India have left out, uh, Coley and Sharma, well, that, it, it intrigues me, actually, that we're, we're resting people in test cricket these days. Uh, that uh, that yeah. disappoints me greatly. But, however, they have also left out Bumrah and Sharmi. Now, that tells me that they were never going to win the game, and it tells me a lot about the surface. So, uh, enter Ashwin, Jadeja, and Aksa Patel, and look out. Yeah. So, you probably answered that, so I dare say they'll be playing. We, we probably should be playing for a spinner, shouldn't we? Um, but I still think we, we pick our five best batsmen uh, at the top, and um, when it comes to the opener, the other one you got there is Phillips, but again, Phillips is a part-time off-spinner, um, very part-time, so pick your best five batters, so you know, I'm going Latham, um, Young, Williamson, Taylor, Nichols, I'm going to have Blundell at six, um, then you could go probably Satner at seven, Jamison eight, 
our two spinners, Wagner and Wagner. So there you go. We picked our side and we're ground at Smithy. And if they don't win, it's the other speaker's fault. Yeah, let's just win the toss, eh? Let's just win the toss and hope like hell. Well, it's going to play um, a big part, isn't it? I mean, when you yeah. talk about their side and what they've picked, it's the other thing is they, they, they've got that little bit between the teeth. They've got a new coach, um, you know, in, in Dravid, um, who will create a fresh energy. They've got that little bit between the teeth from that test championship. And the one way they do knock you into shape, and it's a little bit like coming and playing New Zealand, but the one way they do knock you into shape and show you who the big boys are is by producing conditions that suit them absolutely at home. Um, so they can just turn around and say, hey, you know, you caught us on a bad day in England, but this is our own turf, this is us, this is where we're going to bully you. So we've got to be really prepared for that. So uh, you, I know you're heavily involved with the Sparks. We'll get onto them very shortly. But have you noticed anything, any standout performances, any uh, big watches on the Plunkett Shield scale of things? Oh, not really. I've noticed that the pitches have been a lot flatter at this time of year. I mean, I, I obviously follow the vaults, um, except for Wellington. Wellington, the Basin Reserve, um, is, uh, it's hard yakka, um, and I don't think it's a true reflection of what we want to try and produce in our cricketers. I think the last pitch may have been better. I talked to a couple of the Cantabs, and it's, it's pretty tough going. It's not re- real to what we come up against at the next level we've got. Sort of medium pace is doing not a bad job up there, but I know from the Vault's point of view, they've played a real flat pitch in Dunedin against CD. I think a million runs scored and only about five wickets. They then went into Nelson. Uh, they got a good result, the Vault's, but I think that was a bit fair because it started to turn. Um, but it just shows it's, it's good. It's tough at the moment, Smithy, in, in these competitions because without having Auckland and then ND have just started, it's a little bit um, unbalanced in, in what we're used to. The big thing is at the moment we're um, we're getting cricket um, and those guys are playing cricket, so that's the most important thing. And let's hope um, that in the in the Super Smash, which we're about to go to, and a bit of full trophy, that everything opens up safely and we actually start getting everyone playing. But at the moment, it's a little bit unbalanced just because of the you know the the, the teams that are playing. Um, no real standouts to a certain extent that you probably wouldn't expect. Um, the the good players are scoring runs, the good bowlers are taking wickets and. Uh, we've, it's, the only thing I do know is the Plunkett Shield is crucial to the development of our cricketers. I mean, you just talked about Test cricket and Coley being rested and, and those things. In New Zealand, we still value Test cricket and we still value our domestic game, which is our four-day game, and we've got to make sure that we keep keep doing that in the future because that's the one that really does produce our cricketers for the future. I've been pushing Gary Stead to get a, a Halberg nomination for <laughs> Coach of the Year. Um, not quite sure uh, he will in an Olympic year or whatever, but for me, uh, he gets a chance at that. But having said that, um, if you can get the uh, Otago Sparks up to win the Halliburton Burton Johnston Shield, uh, I think you should dust off your penguin suit, Craig uh, Cumming, because they're, they're having a heck of a year. What have you done to turn this around? Oh, um, yeah, we, we actually, unfortunately, we had a good weekend against Canterbury in the weekend. We won on Saturday with a bonus point, so that was three games in a row after I keep getting reminded by a reporter down here that we lost 21 in a row in the 50 overs, so we were three in a row with bonus points. Um, then we had a cracking game on Sunday where they made two, just about 290, and we should have probably got over the line. We got 283 or 284, lost by seven runs, but... Um, I don't know, it's um, a couple of things we, we've obviously picked up. We've got, I love it, Smitty, that when we get um, a couple of white ferns back, we're now star-studded, whereas everyone's had their white ferns play for them the whole time, and somehow we're the star-studded side. I do find that it's the interesting side of being a coach now, Smitty, and reading these headlines, and I do read the headlines. I read every article, 
and I make notes, um, and I'm ready to go to anyone um, who comes at me because I, I, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm ready to go with that. But I oh, know the girls are actually just. I think the biggest thing I learned last year was their cricket awareness um, and their ability to actually understand the game wasn't as high as I even thought it was. So we're just working really hard on, it's not about winning and losing, and I know that's a little bit cliche, um, but you only you only perform really well and you only have success at the end of the day if you do a whole lot of things right. Um, my biggest thing is trying to make sure the girls understand what their roles are, um, what success looks like, whether you're batting or bowling, and then they're working really hard at training um, to develop the skills to be able to do that. And then 90% of it after that, Smitty, is just trying to get them confident to go out mm. and when they bat to play sweeps, play reverse sweeps. And if the field's up with spinners, back yourself to go over the top. Um, really simple philosophy. Um, the team that scores the most runs wins. So when we're bowling, mm. we're, we're trying to produce dot balls. And when we're back, we've got to score runs. And if we get them understanding that, and, and my girls have been really, really good so far, then um, you know, you're going to have more chance of being successful because... What's the worst thing that can go wrong is you can get out. Well, you're going to get out anyway, so let's try and give ourselves a chance of getting some runs, and we've been doing that really well. And um, I've probably learned a few things from last year as well, which helps me prepare the girls better um, than we were last year. So uh, overall, it's, it's a great experience, but I'm really enjoying it. And Again, learning lots. Um, you can be an expert when you're on the TV or on that, but it's a different when you're coaching. You've got to be able to try and uh, make the make your athletes understand what's going on. Um, you've got to try and create awareness for them and um, and empower them to think for themselves as well. I'm not a coach, Smitty. Believe it or not, I sit there pretty relaxed. I have my cups of tea. Um, I'm on a bit of diet mm. at the moment, so I'm not eating too many toasted sandwiches. Um, but but I just watch them and see how they react and write notes and um, try and empower them to make decisions. And if uh, there's no such thing as a right or wrong decision, um, they make the decision and then we review against it and see what they do different next time. Just finally, uh, so I'd love to hear um, put your rugby hat on for a moment because uh, people will realise, of course, you spend a lot of time on the sideline doing Otago games and Highlanders games, certainly have done in the past. Uh, Ken Laban was interesting this morning. He said that Moana Pacifica have got the leftovers. That's usually some, some people say what the Highlanders get. So uh, I'm looking at your squad here. You're going to miss, you're going to miss, I, I think uh, you'll miss Ioane uh, to a certain extent, certainly miss Ash, Ash Dixon, but... One of your big losses, I think, now will be Putty Putty Parkinson. Yeah, I spoke to a couple of people down here, and um, that, that is a big loss. Um, but Tony Brown just creates it. He sort of creates the culture, actually, down here about being the, the misfits or getting together. But once you get down here, they, they quite like the underdog tag, and, and they actually embrace it. Uh, if you look at Super Rugby Smith, you look at the history in the last, you know, from, from day dot, the teams that are really successful, um, it's actually you've got to have the, you've got to have one of the best first fives in the country, um, no doubt about that. Um, and you've got to have a really quality nine ten combination, um, and I think the Highlanders have that, and Aaron Smith, you know, no doubt. And then um, you know your four packs about just sort of rolling your sleeves up um, and and working really really hard. And Tony Brown will certainly get them going and getting them in that area and getting them prepared. It's I think it's, it's a bit more exciting, Smith. I don't know how you feel. Like we're going away. I actually feel like it's going to be exciting next year to watch this because there's a bit more unpredictability. Clearly, there's some Steve Hansen terms, some rocks under the beach towel this summer with the All Blacks. So it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back, how long they want off, because I reckon a few of them will be pretty keen to get back into it pretty quickly because it's not like they're, they're, they're sitting back thinking at the moment we're the rock stars because they're not, um, and they've got a lot to prove. But... No, no, we're pretty confident down here. We like having their squad. We'll just, uh, we got faith in Tony Brown, and um, I'm sure they'll have a good year.
Always good chatting to you, mate. Good luck uh, for the rest of the season, and we'll stay in touch. Thank you. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Naked a couple of weeks, Smithy, so some of that sea, seafood from, you know, your major man, I look forward to coming around for maybe a wee beer and um, having a little bit of seafood with you. Oh, well, I thought you, well, this time I thought you had an allergy. I can fix that. Don't worry. <laughs> what, allergy to beer or seafood? <laughs> <laughs> seafood and eat it like me. Okay, uh, fair enough. Uh, Sid, we'll be in touch, mate, uh, over that regard. Uh, I will organise something really. for you quick, quick smart. Uh, Craig coming there with us, folks. Uh, good, always good chatting to him, great commentating with him too and spending uh, a lot of summers with him. Knows a lot of things about a lot of things and a uh, very, very keen rugby man as well. Keen Otago man, even though uh, he's Timaru born and uh, really I suppose you have to put him in the uh, Crusader bracket. Uh, he's a Highlander. It's 11.20 here on SENZ. Uh, a truckload of texts coming in. We've even got a suggestion of our test cricket team from PD. Uh, coming up very shortly, and then of course at 11:30 you can light up the lines for Stump Smithy. of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's Bezzy's and Izzy's radio frequencies. It's Bezzy's and Izzy's radio frequencies. Well, Baz and Izzy uh, putting a spotlight on SENZ's Wellington frequency uh, this week. It is 7.11am, so going to give away 711 bucks with their radio frequencies competition. Um, so what you do is you've got to answer 10 questions. If you dial in at uh, 8 o'clock and you get uh, the opportunity, uh, you've got to answer 8 questions, and we're giving you 5 of the answers. That's how it works. Uh, this morning, in case you missed it, uh, well, you would have missed it because it wasn't on, but uh, Louis told us uh, the most assists in NBA basketball, that belongs to John Stockton. So write that down, John Stockton. Uh, he was the, the great assist man for Carl the Postman Malone. I think he was the postman always delivered. Mailman, the mailman. Yeah, he was, uh, Carl Malone. Uh, and that was for the Utah Jazz. Our question uh, this morning is New Zealand, New Zealand Olympic medalist Anthony Wilding competed in which sport? Well, if you didn't know, you should, but if you don't know, it's tennis. Write that one down as well, Anthony Wilding Tennis. So there's two of the ten, and uh, good luck with that particular competition. Uh, some texts uh, have rolled in today on a number of issues. Uh, we're going to do that Mount Rushmore in about uh, 10, 15 minutes, but uh, rugby, hot on the agenda as always. Smithy, what are the odds? The rest of the world, rugby are catching up after sending all of our information to the north over the last 15 years. Other countries have finally caught up. We will be lucky to win another World Cup. Money and shorter rugby lifespans will win the race if the ABs can't keep a 90% overall win record. Interesting, John did another count-up this morning just through those uh, squads that have been named. 27, 27 players lost to overseas out of potential super candidates this time around. Uh, quite a few to Japan, but quite a few again to the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, and that's quality too, Smithy, aren't they? They're like top draw kind of guys. Um, guy, I guess guys like James Lowe, who we see playing so well, guys who end up going overseas and then staying there and playing against us and beating us. So the player drain, is it an actual thing? Will it get worse, Smithy? And will we have to change that rule of selecting all blacks overseas? Yeah, we, we might have to look at changing it, but at the moment I, I don't think uh, that is in uh, part of the deal that they're considering at the moment. That would be a revolutionary decision uh, for New Zealand rugby to make. 
Is this just the New Zealand way in professional sport? New Zealand are making a habit of botching selections. The All Blacks were going great. Then we put our best uh, in the world 10 at, uh, at 15. Uh, best in the world number 10 at 15. Uh, cricket, the best opening batsman to arrive in New Zealand a long time. We go to a World T2020 and put a finisher to open who never fired at the top and finished awesomely but pissed others off who gave their wickets away. Just a thought. Uh, that's an interesting thought as well. That's uh, from Dean. Uh, here's an interesting one from Adam. Um, and uh, this is on the back, of course, uh, uh, us talking about Tim Payne. We had to talk about him, Adam. Uh, it's one of the biggest stories in sport at the moment. But we do understand that we're not squeaky clean in this country. And uh, you're quite right. How many Aussie cricketers have been to the high court for match fixing? Australia nil, New Zealand two. So uh, I get you just there, and I'm not for one sa second saying that we are squeaky clean uh, in any of that. Um, uh, but thank you for, my, for that timely reminder, just in case you thought I was. Uh, uh, read the AB, says Mike, I've got no concerns about those last two losses. Answered some questions going forward and well and truly dispatched the complacency bug. We've got good depth in most positions going forward. Roll on 2023. What are the odds for the future? There probably is a book, actually. Uh, on the World Cup already. There probably is a book. We might try and find that for you. Uh, Mark says, this review is a joke. Nothing will change. We will lose the Bledisloe Cup and the Rugby Championship. Foster makes, uh, uh, Foster makes the coach from the movie The Waterboy look like a genius. That's Mark from Lower Hup. It is 11.30, which means it's time for the news, but it's also time for you to uh, dial 0800 150 811 and see if you can pick up 50 bucks from the TAB. Job. Just to answer your question there from just before the news, Smithy, the odds are out for the Rugby World Cup at the TAB. The All Blacks still favourites, 325, but France at 375, closing in. And then England are the third favourites at 550, with the reigning champion Springboks at $6. What do you make of those? Well, I make it interesting. It's a long way out. You've got to be very patient with your money. Uh, to be able to back from there, this far out. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, things that can happen in that time, period of time. But if it were a market for next week, uh, certainly it'd be a false market. No yep. doubt about it. Absolutely. And there are lines open for the first time ever in Stump by Smithy. So if you want to get in line, uh, 0800 150 811. And if our first contestant, Steve-O, fails, g'day, mate, you can be in line. How are you, mate? I'm just thanks how are you? Yeah, very good. Uh, you know how the game works. You get three sporting categories, you choose one, get three questions right, and you win, but get one wrong, and Smithy can and will stump you. So today your categories are tennis, cricket, and football. Which one of those do you like? I'll take them on at his own game, eh? Oh, cricket. It never ends well, Steve-O. It never ends well. First question then. The Black Caps take on India in a two-test series starting this Thursday. Live commentary on SENZ. What happened the last time these two teams played in a test match? The Black Caps won on the sixth day to take out the test championship. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. One of the greatest moments. I know we're doing our worst losses in history uh, in Mount Rushmore, Smithy, but that'd be top four greatest wins, wouldn't it, by a New Zealand team? Cricket-wise, yeah, absolutely. Standout performance. The greatest uh, win over a period of time because it just wasn't won overnight. It was a long it was a long race and they, they won it. They won it convincingly, yep. Absolutely. No so, Steve-O, off to a winning start yourself. Question number two. 
Mattia Muralitharan has the record for the most wickets in Test cricket. How many did he take? Oh, early 800s, I think. Um, 823. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, chance for a stumping off Murali would have been yeah. quite difficult to yeah. keep to. Yeah, yeah, nightmare keeping to him. He's gone uh, a lot grey a lot earlier than I did. I would have been thinking, <laughs> um, look, I know, I, I, I'm just plucking at a number here, 873. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. 800 on the dot. Murali, uh, it's the most. A lot of people say he's not the greatest bowler of all time, though, but 800 wickets on the dot. Not bad. All right, Steve-O, last question for all the chocolates. Who currently tops the list for the most test runs for New Zealand? Ross Taylor. That's a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Thought I might have tripped him up with a Kane Williamson there, Smithy, but nah, it is Ross the boss. Nah, well done. Absolutely great uh, effort, Steve-O. Thanks for staying on the line, and congratulations. I hope uh, you turn that into a few bickies somewhere uh, along the way uh, in the next uh, day or so. Uh, yeah, and Brian will get your details, mate. Well done. Absolutely well done. Yes, mate. Have a good one. Yeah, well, all the best, mate. Have a great day. Uh, 11.35 here on SENZ, as John has alluded to, Mount Rushmore coming up with us uh, very shortly. Uh, and that uh, represents the four losses to uh, us in particular who have hurt the most. The four losses that have hurt the most um, in uh, our sporting careers as baby players and certainly spectators. Coming up shortly. Behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, Jimi Hendrix comes to visit this time every Tuesday as we look at our Mount Rushmore and the subject today is the four losses in sport that have hurt us the most. Uh, John Day, I'll give you uh, the chance to open the batting today. How's that? Cheers, Smithy. And um, man, it's like just from a point of view as a spectator of think losses that hurt, um, I bet they hurt a lot more when you're actually involved, Smithy. And we've had a lot for the 92 World Cup, haven't we? So wonder if that will pop up. My fourth a loss that hurt me the most came back in 1997 when I was a 15-year-old boy. Now, fifth tackle. This is it. And the chance. Andrew Jones. Here it is. A-oh, knocked down by Manley. Six more tackles. tackles. There's 20 seconds on the clock. Albert, he will play it. 21 metres away. Down the blind, Andrew Jones. Inside for Albert. Albert will score. Albert will score. Newcastle have won the grand final. Albert is over. Manly has been beaten by Newcastle on full time. Yep, Manly led the NRL all year. Uh, my childhood favourite team and in 1997. It was uh, 16 all. We charged down the drop kick, but then they still won the Newcastle Knights. Darren Albert, and it haunts me to this day, Smithy. So that's my number four loss that hurt me the most. Manly losing to Newcastle yeah. 97. And what about Rabs Warren there in the background trying to yeah. describe that drama there? That was uh, something special. Well, I go back to uh, 1974. Uh, remember we had uh, Dick Taylor on after he'd won the, uh, the race, uh, that uh, 10,000 metres on day one, set up the Commonwealth Games. We had a fantastic Commonwealth Games. Uh, so then it came down to the 
blue ribbon event, uh, as it was termed back in those days. The 1500 metres, and this happened. 200 metres left in this devastating race. If you have seen the footage, you can see how I accelerated to the 200 metres, and then I relaxed. Once I re when I relaxed, John Walker, Ben Gipcho, and Rod Dixon started to move, and I saw them at the corner, and when we go to the straight 100 metres at the finish, I saw John Walker coming behind me, and I said, okay, now it is the time to say, catch me if you can. Sensational, wasn't it? Well, almost. Uh, that was Philbert Bay, of course, uh, if you uh, don't remember. Uh, just outlasting John Walker. That was, for me, going to be the crescendo. Uh, I was 17 years of age at that time, and that was going to be the highlight uh, of my whole sporting life, watching Walker just finish it off in style for us, and he couldn't quite get to Philbert Bay, and that left an impression on me. Yeah, what a crowd, too. Man, that just comes through the radio, doesn't it? Holy moly, what a race, and well done to Bay. Uh, my number three of uh, yeah, sports losses that have hurt me the most, don't penalise Richie McCaw. Red and black jumpers, now Tolu Latu goes to ground. Well, that trip dangerous, they're going to win it though. There's a penalty! Well, it's 45 metres out. And it's against Richie McCaw, ironically. You weren't a tackler. Less than two minutes remaining. Righto, here's the discussion. Is it Kirtley Beale or does Bernard Foley have 45 metres in him? So, Bernard Foley. The crowd's all starting to stand. These enormous blocks of people getting to their feet already. 45 metres back. Bernard Foley. It's got the legs. It's got the legs. The distance. Over! Over! <laughs> A 19-year wait is over. It's third time lucky. Denied in 05. Denied in 08 by the Crusaders. But victorious in 2014, the New South Wales Waratahs have got the monkey off their back. Yep, 2014 Super Rugby Final, Richie McCaw penalised, and you can hear the referee, you weren't the tackler. He was the tackler, got a turnover, but penalised. Todd Blackadder, coach at the time, if they had won that final, Todd would probably be remembered as one of the great Crusaders coaches. But no, had to leave without a title. 2014 Super Rugby Final is one that I can't let go, Smithy. Okay, fair enough. Um, that's yeah, that's a, a hell of a memory. I've got to say, my number three is a hell of a memory too, and it's a hell of a memory because it's so long ago. But and Staffy will back me on this at midday. Um, Manawatu, the great green and white machine, losing the Ranfurly Shield midweek to North Auckland, courtesy of a 48-minute second half, 48-minute penalty goal kicked by Chippy Seminoff, which just just went inside, brushed the right hand upright. I was in line with it. Uh, took the afternoon off work and was absolutely in dismay that that Shield era had come to an end. 48th minute of the second half, standing halfback Johnny Gilmer was penalised for going offside and the referee was a man by the name of Adlam from Wanganui. Our nearest neighbours didn't want to do us a favour. 48th minute of the second half, it was like fate, it was written in the stars that they wanted it to go that day. Went to a great bunch of guys at North Auckland didn't ease the pain, I'm sorry. That was really bad. No, really, Smith, really Smithy's bad. got, uh, Staffy's got that great story, doesn't he, of visiting a flat uh, <laughs> in, in Palmerston North. Really needed to rent one. Beautiful place. And then got told the landlord's name was Adlam. Nah, don't want it. 
just walked straight out the door. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that lives with a lot of people, that one. Smithy, Renfrewly Shield losses do hurt, don't they, forever. Uh, number two, for me, is the same as you. And you were there, Smithy. You were there for this moment. He's pulled it. Man out there at square leg. He's defending. It's going fine. It could go all the way. He's coming around quickly. We die. That's four runs. And Pakistan have won the first semi-final in Eden Park. A magnificent performance by Jarvid Mandan. Inzaman Al-Haq. And look at that. Look at Jarvid. What a performance for the veteran. A magnificent win when you're chasing 262. You have to do all the hard work. Well, the entire Pakistan team has raced onto the field. And no wonder. I didn't really like cricket until 1992 and then fell in love with it during that tournament. Uh, the New Zealand team were just amazing, yourself included, Smithy, and that just made it so much harsher with the heartbreak as a 10-year-old kid. What was it like playing in that game in 1992, that semi-final? And does that live with you? Yeah, it does live with me, um, and it's my number one, actually. So I might as well get it out of the way. It's my number one because I was involved in it, and so it probably hit me the most. But uh, I recall that... Uh, tournament as uh, the momentum just kept going steaming forward uh, and everywhere that we went around the country there was this jump on the bandwagon belief uh, taxis were, were nothing you know cabbies would give you a free ride restaurants all of a sudden you go up and find that someone had paid your bill I uh, could hardly buy a beer anywhere in town uh, and it was just a fantastic time uh, to be alive and playing in that cricket team and then we got to um, we got to Eden Park and uh, you know, we'd, we'd set up a really good score, uh, and the score was very high for by Eden Park, Eden Park standards, and we had this beautiful bowling attack that took the pace off the ball, and I thought, this could really get Pakistan. So I was quite confident at the break, although we had lost Martin Crow uh, as captain. Uh, he decided not to field. He'd done his hamstring, and he wanted to know uh, on the basis he thought we'd get there. He wanted to give it every chance to be able to play in the final. So uh, he didn't go on the field, uh, and John Wright took over. And uh, it just didn't work out for us. And they had two players that stole it off us, really, for mine. Uh, everyone uh, got into the fact that Inzamam Al-Haq turned the course of the match. Well, his momentum did, his innings did, it changed the course of the pace of the match. But effectively, the man that we had to get rid of was Javid Mandad. We could not get rid of Javid Mandad. Uh, he was the, the rock, he was the experience that was always going to carry them through. One of the toughest batsmen I've ever seen on a cricket field. Not so much because he could handle the pace or the bounce or anything like that, because mentally he was a street fighter, an absolute street fighter. And until we got him, well, we were always in danger of coming second. And that was it. And it did hurt. And the lap of Eden Park, uh, where you saw a lot of players in tears, I didn't actually uh, burst into tears about it, but I knew it was my last game of cricket ever for uh, in any terms of uh, seriousness at all. Uh, and I was hell-bent that that was going to be it. If not, it was going to be the World Cup final. So... Yeah, sad memories. Sad. A little bit tough to take, and every now and then it comes up. Yeah, but what a ride. Man, that just like, I, I wouldn't have loved cricket as much as I did without that 92 team. Well, we might as well do your number two then, Smithy. Two to win. Yeah. yeah. Guttall's going to push for two. They've got to go. It's got to throw. He's got to go to the keeper's end. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. By the barest of all margins. Absolute ecstasy for England. Agony, agony for New Zealand. It's not in my top four because we didn't lose Smithy, but it is number two for you. Because <laughs> I guess we did yeah, lose. Yeah, well, it is a loss, isn't it? <laughs> it is a loss. We didn't win it, did we? Our name's not on the cup, so there you go. Um, and that that hurt uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, not so much as the other one because I, I wasn't on the field of play and couldn't do anything about it. So you're just sort of there. But uh, being able to, to call it and reflect on it and look at it. And then uh, the pain of that actually didn't kick in 
uh, till quite some time afterwards because uh, you know involved in the working side of it and the commentating side of it. Uh, and then you realise just how close we got and how many little things conspired against us on that afternoon at Lords. Uh, that's where the pain really did set in. So I felt on behalf of the players, uh, I felt on behalf of cricket in this country actually. Um, that one, I won't say the one chance we've had. We've won a title since then, and we nearly won one the other day. But uh, that, to me, was uh, one that'll sting forever. As yep. long as uh, I've got a bit of breath there, I'll always remember that for yep. a number of reasons. And this one is my number one. Wayne Barnes, grey jerseys, 2007. <laughs> oh, and comes Damian Trey, using his pace. Well, it might have been a touch forward, but he got away with it. Mishalak, that pass inside, and Josiel, over. We're into the last minute. Back it goes, and the drop goal attempt. It should be short. And wide. Oh, and they've lost it forward. And this is going to be it. Elisander is just going to run the ball off the pitch into the stand. And France are still in the World Cup. Don't think we need to reflect on that, Smithy. Should we just move on? No. Move on to Steffi. Yeah. Um, yeah, we will. Eh? Wayne Barnes and All Black teams, six losses now with him refereeing, and uh, quite a few of them in non-black jerseys. Something in that too when Wayne Barnes is around. Yep, Staffy before the break.